Hello and welcome to StarkCast. I'm Joe Stark, and tonight I am talking with Simeon Heimwitz. What is up, dude? Not much. Not much. Just running back and forth. Like I said, I was going to try to get online over at the coffee shop because I figured that the strongest connection would be through the internet. But unfortunately, like I said, my iPhone wasn't exactly agreeable, so I ran right back here to the house. <laughs> and uh, look, you know, let's just talk. Just just talk a little bit about what's you know what's going on. I mean, it's really great to hear from you again. Because we did meet each other in the Red River Gorge, uh, we had mutual friends uh, through uh, friends in Iowa, the rock climbing, and uh, we just, you know, we hit it off. I mean, it's just great to hang with you and your wife. Yeah, it's great to be rock climbing with you. You know, I mean, it's just, it was just, you know, it's just something about something about people from Iowa, man. Everybody's nice. <laughs> You know, that's just really the truth. Any of that part of the U.S., you know, I mean, everybody be like, well, duh, of course he's nice. No, no, doesn't work that way everywhere you go. Sometimes people aren't as nice as other places. Oh, ain't that but yeah, the truth. it was a true pleasure hanging with you. Oh, for sure, man. Yeah. You know, so it's just really nice hanging with you. And, uh, you know, we got to know you and, you know, talked a lot about similar interests that we have. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, rock climbing is the connector between us. And it's great because it is such a small climbing community because not a lot of people rock climb or yeah, I guess there's more and more people in the community now with gyms, indoor gyms and things. But as far as outdoor climbing, when you make connections with people, you really are trusting each other with your life because you're belaying me, I'm belaying you, we're watching each other. Uh, similar weight, we're both big dudes and we wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, that when we are climbing that we, you know, implicitly trust each other. That we don't, you know, that because if you don't, if you don't trust your belayer, pretty much, you know, uh, a good belayer, anybody will climb with you. A bad belayer, nobody climbs with you. Right. <laughs> you <laughs> no shit, dude. No, nobody wants to get dropped or spiked into the fucking wall. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. When I was like 23, I had a guy almost drop me twice Ooh. in like a matter of 10 minutes. And, uh, yeah, now he's he's known as the worst player on the Eastern Seaboard, and everybody knows him. <laughs> he hasn't gotten it, you know. He still hasn't clued into the fact that you know you might want to pay attention. But yeah, no, it's too funny. But yeah, so now I'm uh I'm down actually, <clears throat> I'm about four hours north of Mexico City, so I'll be here guiding rock climbing right through probably the first or second week of April. All depends on uh. Uh, you know, how busy I am here and just, you know, what the weather is in the, in the United States. That's awesome, dude. I mean, you're like living the dream. You're living the climber's dream, you know? (laughs) You know what it is, is that, you know, being a rock climbing guide, it's pretty kind of rugged on your body like anything else because it's a lot of exercise and, uh, you're really always watching people. Like, even if it's not the people that you're climbing with, what they call them clients, but my success comes from not treating people as uh, uh, like quote unquote, somebody that's paying you to guide. I think that it became, I've, I've been, my, my guide starts to become popular is because we treat everybody as friends and we want to make sure that we keep an eye on you and teach you as much as we possibly can. You know? So it's not like some, some guide services, they just go out and pull rope. You go out all day. You really don't really get to know the person, and they're just pulling ropes, and they're just looking at the clock, trying to see what time they can get out of there. Like any anybody that might be in a job that they're you know not exactly thrilled with anymore, or one thing or another. But the guide service that you know that we run is that you know everybody leaves with so much education that they didn't know before they came in, and they're also like instantly part of the family. 
you know, I've stayed, I stay friends with all these people. I, you know, even if they're off on their own and they don't need a guide anymore, they still get a hold of me to find out different areas to climb or, oh, nice. you know, all sorts of questions. Yeah. People get a hold of me, should I buy this rope or, you know, who's this or what's that? Or should I go there? Or where, where do you suggest I should go in the middle of February? And I'm like, huh? Middle <laughs> February. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, how far are you going to fly? Right. You know, exactly. Yeah. And I just say, you know, you know, tell people to come down here because uh, we're like um, based right now in a place called Acunco de Espinosa in, uh, in Mexico. And this is the state of Mexico, which is north of Mexico City. And here we're at 10,000 feet of elevation. Uh, Bernal. Oh, how's that feel? Hour and a half north. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. Oh, <laughs> like the, the hikes and everything. You know, I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> Because we're 1,300 miles north of the equator, and we're at 10,000 feet. So the sun is super bright, but because we're at such an altitude, it never goes above 85, 90 degrees. Never gets above 85, really. And it never really goes down below, like, let's say, 35, 25 is the lowest. But that's only at the lowest part of the night. Wow. And then, yeah. And then the next day, it comes right back up, and it's like, you know, usually 70 degrees every day. Guaranteed 70. And I've seen the pictures of the rock that you put on facebook man it looks beautiful down there the key is with with rock climbers it's like anything else when you become like an explorer which rock climbing is or anything that we've done in the past uh as far as like exploring it's like when you're a little kid you're going out in the woods and everything you see is like new everything's old but it's new to you and that's the same idea with rock climbing is that you and i both know that every time you go to a different area to climb everything's so new and everything's like you look at it and you're like "Ooh, what's this going to be like the reason that this place is so special is because we have uh f- five areas within an hour and a half that are completely different rock oh nice so we're um in a Kulko, if i went an hour north it's bernal and that's at porphyry that's the tallest monolith on earth so it's kind of like devil's tower or the rock of gibraltar but this one's 1,500 feet tall, and it stands above this town. Yeah, it's beautiful, and it's porphyry. It's not granite. I call it granite's good-looking sister because it's very <laughs> similar to granite. <laughs> it is. It's very similar to granite, but it's a pink color, and it doesn't take gear. It's all sport climbing, so that's 1,000 feet of sport climbing in just a beautiful part of Mexico. It's all farmland down here. Wow. And then, yeah, oh, it's amazing. And then where I am right now is at Culco de Espinosa. And that's crack climbing. And this is in a river valley with a big waterfall. So it's a waterfall, and you're climbing on the basalt columns that are subset from the, the, the ground level. So you're down in a shady valley, and you're climbing all these, you know, about 35-meter pitches on average. Some are 50, some are a little bit shorter. But nice. that's, you know, a basalt crack. It's beautiful. And that then sounds we go, beautiful, man. It is. For guiding and for people coming climbing, like I have a, a stream of friends coming through. And... uh if we went an hour south from here, it's the largest collection of live oaks in Mexico. They're called the live oak. It's called the Spanish oak, but that's not really the name. Uh, but it's the only oak tree that I know of that's evergreen. It keeps its leaves all year long. It's not deciduous. That's the one that people see in Texas. Oh, wow. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a, really, it's a really hard tree, and it's what the Spaniards, those bastards, came here for way back when with the whole uh, 
trail of uh, the, the the road of gold or whatever the the Camino del Oro or whatever they called it when they came through and just pretty much raped and pillaged. Yeah. But this uh <laughs> this, this 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 tree is part of it because back in the 1500s they would take the tree, bring it back to Spain, and build battleships out of it because it was that hard. Ah. That's how hard. So where we're going rock climbing there is an overhanging volcanic tuft. And this is a really neat area because it's on the side of a mountain with these huge oak trees that are all protected. And it's got this crazy rock. It's like an, it's like an indoor climbing gym outside because this cobbles hangs out of the, out of the, out of the uh, volcanic oh, tuft. So it's like it's very three dimensional. It's very three dimensional. It's crazy. And some of the cobbles that you're grabbing hold of are the size of like Volkswagen bus. Whoa. So you're like crawling through this stuff and other ones are just enough just for a handhold and it's all <laughs> steep. Like 99% of it's overhanging. So it's really, (laughs) for people who come down to go climbing, we take them, you know, we take them one day at the, at the monolith, get them kind of used to that rock. And then we'll jump in the vehicle. We'll go crack climbing two days because people seem to really like to crack climbing. And then they take a few days off. And what's nice about this area as well is that you can go see the pyramids because, uh, Teotihuacan is right here, which is just, uh, east of Mexico City. So we got the pyramids, which is the avenue of the God, avenue of the dead, and the pyramid of the sun, and all that. So that's really family friendly. And then, uh, which I can get an anthropologist for like sixty bucks. I can get you a guy with a PhD to hang out with you all day. <laughs> <laughs> is that crazy? I met this guy, and he says he's an anthropologist, and I'm like, you know, batting my eyes around, you know, I'm like, whatever. And then all of a sudden, he's like, yeah, I got a PhD, and I'm like, really? And then he's like, yeah. So he loves what he does. So when you go there on a rest day, he'll take you around the pyramids and there's so much more than just the architecture. You know, like people don't know that the pyramids, the biggest thing about them is the murals that are painted around all these pyramids and around this like small city is because back in the day, Mesoamerica or whatever they would call it, <clears throat> they had so many different people pouring into that city that spoke different languages that they painted these murals to give people an idea of what they should do day in and day out as far oh. as their, as far as their, yeah, as far as That's their day, cool. daily lives, how <laughs> to interact with each other. And those murals are still there. That's what it is, is that even though it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, these murals are still in really good shape. So with this gentleman, uh, uh, Juan, I can get this anthropologist who speaks English and he'll just walk around with you and he'll be like, well, this is what they were trying to portray here. And this is what they're trying to portray there. Friends of mine tell me it's like a walking museum. Because you can take so much and you're like, all right, man, I got to sit down and rest. Like my brain's <laughs> about to explode. Yeah, so it's really interesting. There's all sorts of stuff here to do between um, the, you know, the, the, the pyramids <laughs> and things. So it's like a whole experience for people for ecotourism because, you know, you come into rock climb, which is fun. I take care of all that. I keep everybody safe. I got my boys taking care of that, you know, and everybody's, we all have CPR first aid. They're all, you know, they're professional guides. They're Mexicans. That's another thing about it is that I have Americans come down and guide for me. But really, for the most part, I'm keeping the local, the strongest local climbers going who want to guide. Oh, good. That's huge. Yeah, because you figure, I got to pay them what I'm paying my boys up north. So if a gringo comes down and I'm paying them X amount of dollars, I can't be paying the boys down here any different. You want to talk about a mutiny? I'd have a mutiny on my hands in no time flat if they heard that I was paying too. You can't do something like that. That's just not right. So. What I pay these guys down here in a day to guide, it would take them a week and a half to make if they ha- had a handsome job. Oh, if they nice, had a good dude. Job, 
Oh yeah. Them guys so, are gonna be hearing about that and I'm being like, I wanna learn to climb. I wanna learn exactly. to climb and I wanna learn all the ins and outs so I can guide. <laughs> it's funny because I have strong Mexican climbers that come to me now and they're like, How much does he make in a day? And I'm like, Mac? I'm like, well, he's my top guy and he makes so much a day. And they're like, well, what does it take to become a guide? And I tell them, you know, I mean, like I said, CPR and first aid are the two big things. Because if we're at the monolith and some mama is walking up the hiking trail and she all of a sudden falls over and grabs her chest, it's our fiduciary responsibility to stop what we're doing at the crag and walk over and take care of her, you know, just to make yeah. sure. That's, 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 you know, that's what we do. You know, we're guides. We're, you know, trying to make sure everybody's good. So, uh. It's interesting because I have these young guys coming to me. They're like, they're, they're like waiting online. When you're up in the United States and you're a guide, yeah, you got guys coming in and going, but they're kind of like, it's almost like the Grateful Dead, man. They just drift in and drift out, you know? <laughs> they just, you, know, you never know when they're going to be in town because it's rock climbers, you know? I mean, it's rock climbers, man. What do you expect? But yeah, so it's really interesting. So the ecotourism on that end is a beautiful thing too because he figured these towns, you know, when people say, well, let's make America great, you know, which I'd like to punch Donald Trump right in the fucking face. <laughs> but anyway, you know, because this country, you know, the United States is the greatest country in the whole world. We don't have to make a great jerk bag. The country is great. But what's nice is that down here, it's still all mom and pop. That's the way you make America great is because it's got to be micro, not macro. You can't go work at Walmart. You're not going to get paid shit. But yeah. if you had your own little business, every time you made money at the end of the day, you had the impetus to work harder because that would put money in your pocket. And that's what made America great. Not Chili's, not all these stupid, uh, you know, franchises This is when you had a restaurant like down here where I'm at now, when you walk around the corner here in this town, which I'd love for you to come visit cheese shop, pastry shop, homemade ice cream. You gotta be exercised. You gotta go rock climb with us every day because when you go back there, I can eat pastries three times a day. (laughs) (laughs) For breakfast, I'm like pastry. For lunch, you know, pastry. And then dinner, okay, we eat something healthy. And then there's the pastry sitting right there at the end of the table. I mean, what are you going to do? Dessert, you know? So it's like incredible here. So it's a cheese town where I'm at right now, Colco. It's all dairy farms. And there's like, honest to God, this tiny little town probably has like 50 cheese shops. And you're like, how do all these cheese shops stay in business? But they do because they all have different cheeses, different, you know, just different takes on cheeses. And uh, that's, you know, that's what made America great because, of course, Mexico is part of North America. People don't realize that, you know, geography. You know what I mean? That would be Canada, (laughs) the United States and uh, Mexico. So, yeah. But, yeah, like I said, down here, it's really nice because you figure people come into town. I get a friend of mine at Siri to pick him up. A-T-Z-I-R-Y. At Siri is her name. They're really hard to pronounce. She's beautiful. Good-looking woman. People love it, man. When she comes to the airport to pick him up, she's standing there. And they come out, and they're just like, yo, who's this? <laughs> and they get in with her. They get driven to the to hotel to my buddy Marco, who, uh, depending on which town we're in, different towns, different hotels. But then Marco, beautiful hotel. You go in. 30 bucks a night for a hotel, five-star hotel, as far as I'm concerned, because they're beautiful. Fresh orange juice in the morning, good times. And then uh, we go climbing, and then you come back, and I send you off to the restaurants, which are really delicious. An Italian restaurant, that's a guy from the Dolomites who uh, immigrated to Mexico because he got tired of the cold weather in Italy. And then there's a Mexican restaurant right next door that uh, is run by a another German guy that was in – 
Queretaro, uh, which is a city. But he said he was partying so hard that he was going to die from partying like a rock star. So they <laughs> closed the restaurant there and he moved it to move it over to Bernal because he said he wanted to stay in the restaurant business. But his friends were just too much alcoholics and drug addicts. He said oh, there was no. always a party. Yeah, so the guy's like 70 something years old and he doesn't look it at all. He's like pickled himself. You know what I mean? I'm like, you are not 74 years old. And he goes, oh, I am. And I'm like, man, he's totally pickled. But yeah, just delicious restaurants. <laughs> Like these two restaurants side by side, I uh, like, you know, every year I, I do a, uh, you know, I go back and I ask people questions about their favorite restaurant, their favorite climbs, their favorite area, you know, and I do kind of like a, uh, you know, just a, a wind down, just kind of like to regroup to find out if I could do anything better as a guide service or if, uh, you know, we can put anything into the mix that would make things better. But it just seems like everybody really likes it because everything's micro. Like everything, everything that we do is all ecotourism based. It's all mom and papa. You know, it's just a it's really it's, it's it a cool awesome. business model. It is a great business model. And now I'm just just trying to figure out how to catch climbers that are gym climbers that know enough that they could kill themselves. But don't know. <laughs> There's enough. a lot of those out you know there, dude. I mean? Exactly. <laughs> just, they know just enough to really get themselves in problems. Because you know if I mean? I'm seeing them in Craig's in Iowa, exactly. <laughs> there's a lot of them exactly. out there. <laughs> They're just know enough just to be dangerous. Those are the people that I'm going to capture. You know what I mean? They're uh. just like on the verge to where like, oh my God, we're going to kill ourselves. <laughs> and then they come down on a vacation. They usually spend seven days. Out of the seven days, I guide them for. And, uh, you know, that's my guides who I'm giving all the work to now. You know, I'm giving them all the work so I want to keep them going. And then they work for four days. And then the people take a couple of days off to, uh, you know, go see the pyramids. Or, again, San uh, uh, San Miguel de Allende. San Miguel de Allende is right near here. And that's a great expat town with a big lake. And that's a beautiful town. Uh, good hot springs. And then, you know, there's all different sorts of things. Mineral del Chico is a, is the first national park in Mexico. That's right near here. And it's like an hour away and it's this mountain town. And like you drive up and you drive up and you drive up and you keep driving up. And with my van, I swear to you, I swear. I'm like, if there's not a gas station somewhere up in those mountains, we better hope that we can like coast all the way down because it takes so much gas to get up there. And then when you get up in these old mountains, it's an old silver town, first national park in Mexico. It's just like it's amazing. It's like stepping back in time. When I send people there, I'm like, you should go check out the national park. They come back. They're like, seriously? Like that little town? It's like a podunk town in the middle of nowhere, and it's absolutely just gorgeous with rock climbing there, too. There's also rock wow. climbing there at Mineral Del Chico. Do you, uh, do that, you still got that same uh, van that you had in the red? Oh, hell yeah, dude. I've had that since 2003. <laughs> ain't going anywhere anytime soon. Okay, yeah, you got, you got to describe that van for the listeners so they know what you're talking right. about. <laughs> so, so back in the day, when I actually had like a working man's job, I was doing finance. I was doing commercial loans, and I knew that the economy was going to supernova. Like, it couldn't keep pushing the way it was. So I'm like, I better get wise. So I uh, decided that when, once, the, once the economy supernova, that my job was going to go with it. I'm like, this is obvious, man. I'm just going to be – I better do something smart or else I'm going to be out there on the street. You know, I'll probably you know, end up being a you know, male prostitute or some crap because I got nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> you realize that male prostitutes, it's not like you're banging old women. Like, it doesn't work that way if you're a male prostitute. No, no, no. You're, like, blowing dudes. So, yeah, like, I was like, this isn't going to work for me, you know what I mean? So I better figure out some type of shelter situation. So I took my money, and I was like, all right. I'm like, here we go. So I I, I sold my uh, West Folia, and I sold another van I had, and I bought a just a regular E250 van, sent it to Quigley. Quigley took it, 
made it four-wheel drive because no vans really are built four-wheel drive. Well, some are now, but not really like the way this one is. And then from Quigley, it went out to Sportsmobile. And Sportsmobile is a uh, conversion company. So I have two beds in here, a bed up top, a bed down below. And then I have the sink, the stove, and the fridge, all the cabinets. And it's just a regular E250 van, but inside of it, it's a full-on house. It's amazing. <laughs> that's it. I travel. You know what I mean? I mean, it ain't the greatest for relationships, you know? Oh, my God. I got this 24-year-old girl just scoping me out here in town. Oh, for Christ's sakes. I'm trying to totally avoid her. She was at the coffee shop, too. Another reason why I kind of split. I was like, oh, boy. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, does she love you or does she love the van? <laughs> no, no. She hasn't really got – I think the van is going to – I think the van will grow on her. But at this point, it's just like I think I'm just so out of the ordinary for this town. And I told her she was pretty. And one and one, I was like, oh, man, I got to watch what I say. So, you know, like I said, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely going to hell. If there's a hell and a heaven, for sure, man, something bad's going to happen. <laughs> for sure. But, yeah, I'm trying to be good down here. But, God, she's hot. I'm like, Jesus, what am I supposed to do here? How far? How fast do I have to run? But, uh, yeah, so I'm down here. I'm actually in the van right now because I went into town, like I said, and my phone kind of took a dump. And I was like, oh, shit. So I ran back here, and she was in there. And then if I had to go plug in inside the place, I don't know, man. Like you said, it's going down a bad road. I got to, I got to be scarce. I got to make myself <laughs> scarce for a little while. <laughs> no doubt. But uh, yeah, cause I'm weak, man. I'm weak. I'm freaking single. Like Jesus Christ, man. I'm like I live in a van. I mean, I'm totally. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean. That's what my buddy told the girl. This girl we were climbing with, she's like, you know something, you have commitment issues. And even my buddy looks like commitment issues. The dude lives in a van. How much commitment are you going to get from a guy who's going to take off as soon as the first <laughs> snowflake flies? <laughs> you know? Too damn funny. <laughs> and I looked at him. I'm like, dude, I'm like, is that nice? And he's like, what? And I'm like, nothing. I'm like, can you go a little easy on me? I'm like, for Christ's sakes, bam, leave it in a week. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I'm down here. And I'll be down probably, like I said, through mid-April, <clears throat> depending. You know, depending. Be down here. I'll just see what the weather's like in the States. Because until things start opening up in the States and I get called back and I can work at the gunks. Because as soon as the phone starts ringing, that's when I start deciding to head back north, you know, and guide up, up there in New York State. But until then, I'm just going to keep on guiding down here, man. Like I said, people come down. And it's like, think about the job I got. I'm like, I'm like almost like you're on a, a cruise ship, but it's not a bunch of freaking worthless people hanging around there waiting to die. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Because who goes on a freaking cruise? People that are looking for all you can drink and all you can eat. You know what I mean? I mean, those people are just waiting to die. They're just standing online waiting for something bad to happen. Down here, you know, I'm like that dude at the cruise ship. Because everybody's happy to be here. They come into town. You immediately hook them up with a whole bunch of pastries. Because that's the way. When they get into the room, they drop their bags. And then they're stuffed to drink. And there's a whole bunch of fresh pastries. And then they can decide what they want to do from there to get their sugar level going. And then from there, we take them climbing. They're having fun. Because we pretty much take care of everything to make sure they're having a good time. Send them off to dinner. Send them around. And we just, you know, bounce from place to place. And it's like the greatest vacation ever for rock climbers in that window. You know? And we have single climbers coming down by themselves or we have up to four in a group you know that's what we do i mean we'll take as many as people want if people said 10 people are coming down of course we'd handle it but uh for the most part our sweet spot is four you know four people come down that that costs them the least amount of money and uh, we just have at it and just go climbing i remember really the first time i saw a guide was actually when i was climbing it was the first time i was in the red and we went to the bruise brothers ball and there was a guy 
that had a guide with him and like the guide was like showing him how to put on a harness and everything. I mean, this guy had like zero (coughs) outdoor climbing experience. And so it was, it was kind of cool just kind of hanging off to the side and kind of listening to the guide explain all this stuff. Exactly. um, That's a hard place, man, because there's not really easy climbs there. You know what I mean? I mean, Bruce brothers, cause it's such a smaller crag and there's only a couple climbs there that are really mellow. Like at the gunks, like we have hundreds of five threes. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Like a five, like, you know, as for your listeners, the Yosemite decimal system is, uh, 5.0, 5.1, 5.0, 5.1, all the way up to now 5.15, which is the hardest climbs in the, in the world. But if you're if, if you're out there hiking and you're going on ha- your uh, hands and knees and you're, you're really crawling up a hill, that's fourth-class scrambling where you're like, man, I could die, but you don't have a rope. That's yeah. a fourth-class scramble. Then fifth-class climbing with the Yosemite Decimal System means as soon as you hit a fifth-class climb, you want to have a rope there with you because you are going to be standing there staring at St. Peter if you fall. <laughs> you know <laughs> exactly that's a good way to put it <laughs> exactly or you you know or there's worse things than dying that's why i tell the young kids that screw yeah, around i'm that. like you know junior you know not that i'm old but i look i'm like you know you know young man there's worse things than dying and they look at me and they're like well what do you mean i'm like yeah maybe you want to think about that dying's the easy way out but uh yeah so you know like the gunks for five threes that were put up in the 40s like world war ii era five three climbs that are airy and they're really good, and they're just so much fun. than the five fours and the five fives and the five sixes that are all reasonable for people that don't have a lot of experience, but they can get through it. And I'll make sure I keep them nice and tight, you know, with the belay. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're great. I mean, that's what makes the gunks. That's what keeps us so busy is the fact that people come up there and we teach them. We just don't take them out. You know, that's the big thing with the guide services that we teach them. We look at them. I'm like, you understand why I'm doing this? And they learn so much in the day. That when we get back at the end of the day, they grease me hard with tips. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm like the highest tip guide at the gunks because then people can't figure it out. I'm just like, because the value, it's all value set. You know, people really feel like they're the, the bang for the buck for what they paid. They just go out climbing. They went and saw a bunch of beautiful climbs, but they also hung out with a guy that showed them so many things to keep them safe when they go out on their own stuff that they'll never forget. It might get dusty and they may have to blow the dust off of some of the things, but they'll never forget. You know, yeah, the, yeah and really that's in that's in upstate New York, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, come October, oh yeah, we're talking upstate New York. When people are like, oh, you're from New York, I'm like, oh no, no, no. New York City is just that little blurb down there. That's right by Long Island. New York State is a huge chunk of property, <clears throat> and we're all all apple trees. You know, it's mostly apple orchards and things like that. We have peaches, but nobody north of us grow peaches it's just too cold they get too much too much frost late in the season so yeah we're uh ulster county new york it's about an hour and a half north of new york city and it is just uh it's just magnificent it's a beautiful cliff great place and uh great for guiding and that's where i meet a lot of people that come down here not all of them but i lead i I meet a lot of people there climbing and then i just happen to mention that where i spend my winters because people want to know they're like they want to know first of all if you're a full-time guide and how you make that happen and then, uh, secondly, you know, where I am. And then I just, you know, get their information because that's business. And I drop them a, uh, the website, which is the southern exposure.com.mx. If you just put in southern exposure.com, you're going to set a, see a set of titties. 
for sure. Like Southern <laughs> Exposure is a porn site, you know? And I kind of contemplated that. I'm like, man, people are going to get really mixed up when they put in Southern Exposure and they get some, some bleach blonde bimbo with their freaking big old fake titties squished up against the freaking lens. But if you put southernexposure.com.mx and then you can see exactly where we are, you know, because that .mx, which is cool, because that's Mexico. And uh, <laughs> it's crazy, you know? I mean, it's just it's a nice way to live. And I'm trying to get the guide service big enough that where if I can have four guides working all the time, then what I can do is I can move down here and I can start the climbing camps for kids when they get out of school in the summertime. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Because these little kids, their middle class here is burgeoning. Where our middle class is pretty much drying up, you know, like an 80-year-old woman's cooter. You know what I mean? Something like that. <laughs> you know, like it's just, you know, barren wasteland up north because we're just, you know, killing our middle class down here because all everything with nafta came south they're really doing well their education system's good it's inexpensive all you have to do is pay for books and live with your family and you could pretty much get a good education if you have the uh you know if you have the wherewithal to go to university and then once you get done with the university then you can uh move right on out and get a good job and then your kids you know you're going to the climbing gym your kids are going to the climbing gym and once this whole process gets started, they're going to be working, working, working. They're going to want something for their kids to do in the, in the summertime. And I think with Bernal right there, we can, uh, you know, four days or three days of climbing, two days of, you know, doing other outdoor stuff as far as teaching them about the outdoors, as far as the plants, the flora, the fauna, and uh, get them going. You know, get them climbing and get them understanding more about the outdoors. Because the only way that we're going to be able to protect this world or protect the United States from Mexico in open areas is getting kids involved, knowing what a precious resource we have as yeah. far as having this open areas. So that's that's the big thing for me. Oh, is, that, you know, that trend that's going on right now in the United States with seeing some of these public uh, lands ear? getting part. Yeah, yeah, bears ear seeing some uh, of these public lands getting cut up. Uh, it's yeah. it's yeah, fucking disgraceful. One, uh, what, there's one orange tinted mofo out there that I'd like to get right around the neck and just choke him until he's until he's completely mm-hmm. unconscious. It's just giving it up to oil companies. That's just like you, you dirty bastard. But yeah, so like down here, it's a lot of it's about you know teaching kids when they're young and getting them to respect the outdoors and getting them to understand different trees, different plants, why they're here, what was here originally, you know what I mean, and what's moved in, what's invasive species and things like that, and then uh, you know just get them climbing. Because the climbing camps, you've never, like little kids are so much fun, you know, because they just run around. For one thing, you can tell a little kid something that's a total lie and they believe you, which is sometimes funny, you know. <laughs> I was you that kid, I, so. Exactly, you know, because <laughs> they're so gullible. They're like, are there poisonous snakes out here? And you're like, oh, yeah, there's poisonous snakes all over. There's probably one right underneath that rock right there. And then they get all freaked out. And you're like, no, man, there's nothing around here. You know, I mean, not where we are anyway. I mean, sure, there's stuff that can happen, but it's just so much fun with the little kids, you know. So you and, guys and, really uh, don't have too many, like, poisonous snakes or well you got the you got the coral snake which if you got bit by it down here game over you know that's it but the coral snake is so brightly colored that there's no way in heck you're gonna you're gonna miss it and then you got your rattlesnakes down here but really for the most part rattlesnakes are smart they can smell you and feel the vibration on the ground when you're coming and they get out of the way even when you're climbing they can smell you in the air with their tongue so very rarely people would ever get whacked by a rattlesnake 
anywhere, even vertically, they hardly ever happen. It's really, really low percentage yeah, because be the snakes the, are pretty social. That'd be the fear, though, is like pull a ledge or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, oh, thank yeah. God, I'm almost at this ledge, and then you pop your head over oh, it. Yeah. There's a snake coiled up in front of you. Like, fuck. Oh, totally. <laughs> it happened at the Delaware Water Gap to me in like 1999 or 2000, somewhere around there. <laughs> I was at the Water Gap climbing, and that's the highest concentration of timber rattler snakes in all of uh, that part of New Jersey, Pennsylvania. And uh, we were just climbing, and that's it. Pulled my head over the over the ledge. It's like. And I just looked at it. I'm like, point made. Lowered my head back down. I'm like, there's a rattlesnake like right there. And then all I did was just move away like three feet. And then I just kept on going. But uh, yeah, for the most part, like I said here, the, the the biggest fear that you would have down here is there, there's two different kinds of sheep. There's sheep that you shear. And then there's sheep that you eat. There are two borrego is the sheep that you eat. And here, there's sheep running all over the place. The biggest thing you'd be afraid of is, man, you get trampled to death by a couple of sheep. I mean, oh. that's it. There's nothing going on down here. Yeah, that doesn't Honest sound to too scary. Yeah, exactly. Except when, you, when you're over there by the waterfall, like 50 of them are running right for you. I'm telling you, that gets a little tenuous. You're like, man, are, those, are they coming for me? But they're sheep, man. That's why they're called sheep, because they just lay down and take it. But yeah, yeah, um, it's a pretty interesting place. With where you're located, how far away are you from like the kind of like the scary shit in Mexico that you hear about well, in the news? <coughs> Mexico City. It's pretty rugged because there's 23 million people there. So if you go around Mexico City, you can find problems. As far as like the cartels, they really don't come around here because uh, Bernal is a magic town. Uh, the magic town status is there's got to be something to get the status in Mexico. There's 23 magic towns in the whole country. I think it's 23. Don't quote me on that. It might be 22, maybe 24. But anyway, uh, the magic town status is the Pueblo Mexico. And to get that status – there's got to be something going on. Like Bernal has that big monolith. And then that's a very touristy type town of all these stuff that they make right there, like serapes. So people pour in there for that. They don't want to lose that magic town status because it really does bring in a lot of money for the town. Micro, again, all small shops. So what they do is they plant the federal police down the highway long before you get into town both directions. It's a Sierra Gorda uh, mountain range. So if you're on the highway... And they were coming towards Bernal because there's one way in and one way out. And they, you know, go through the checkpoint and they point at you. And all of a sudden you tried anything, they would just point all their guns at your vehicle and just load you up. That would be it. Like I tell my buddies, I'm like, if, if, the, if these federalities, you just pull up and you're just really pleasant. I've never had any problems. In fact, they've been actually overly pleasant with me. So that's the magic <laughs> town. Same with, same with that cool girl right here. This is a magic town. So they don't really, you know, they're very, very leery about having any problems here. And there's not really any reason for the narco traffickers to come through because it's not in the major thoroughfare. Now, Monterrey, where I just came from, the El, the El Potrero Chico, where I sold my place up there. I was just going to ask that, about that destination. Oh, man. Oh, man. They just had problems with narcos right in the town of the Potrero. Remember, like, you remember, like, 10 years ago when uh, that that band yeah i was gonna say a whole mariachi band disappeared like right across from where people stay exactly yeah what happened happened there this is an interesting story right so this is a band from monterey they sang songs about narco traffickers but not the setas not not specifically any name or anything like that and they had called them the 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 narco guys called them and said hey listen you're gonna stop singing that song so we don't like it well they didn't stop singing the song. 
So then they got threatened at a that a, that they were going to play a venue down in Monterey, and then they canceled that 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 night. And then they went up to Hidalgo, and uh, where El Patrón Chico is. So they went up there to play instead of playing in Monterey. Well, the Narcos just called the bar. They're like, "Oh, where's the band playing tonight?" They're like, "Oh, they changed the venue. They're going to be up in Hidalgo." So then the Narcos just drove on over to Hidalgo, picked up the band. And the entourage, it wasn't even like they just picked up the band. They picked up everybody and then brought them over out in Amina and uh, did them. You know, took care of, you know, they just did a horrendous, man. That's horrendous what went on. Yeah, 13 people. They let one guy live. And that was in the Pochero. Yeah, it was like, you know, they took them over to Amina and then, you know. And the one guy who they, they, that ran away, like, if you were in that part of Amina, like in that part of Mexico, like, there's not any trees or any bushes that are taller than your knees. It's desert. So they let that guy go, you know, to tell the tale of what went on, which is pretty damn scary. Yeah. So <clears throat> now that's the reason why that is, is because, you know, it's our insatiable appetite for drugs in this country that keeps the cartels in business because Mexico is really just a, just a toll booth. That's all it is because nobody here does those drugs. People here are like, why would we spend that kind of money on drugs? Like it's crazy. We don't have that kind of money. But in the States, everybody wants those trucks, right? So that's what it is, is that the Colombians got wise and said, we can make this cocaine, we can make this stuff, and not do any more than just give it to the cartels and let them transport it. So yeah, maybe we'll make a little bit less on it, but we don't have to do all the legwork. And that's what put those guys in business. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so Monterey is like right there, man. That's a, that's the direct line. Right for Laredo. So Monterey, yeah, I don't really hang around there too much. Maybe during the day I'd go to the History Museum with my mom and such like that when she comes and visits. And uh, that's about it. I don't travel to Zacatec. I've been through there once. That's a hot spot. I don't go to Chihuahua. You know, that's a hot spot. There's just certain places that you know just not to go. Here, like I said, that nobody even – everybody, when you even ask people about problems in this town, like people don't even lock their houses. Like that's what that's how nice this town is, you know. It really is. Oh, cool. <laughs> that is really nice. Oh yeah, yeah. <clears throat> like I'm one of them now because we go out during the day. I just shut the gate and just split because everybody kind of watches everybody else's house. And it's really a pretty simple town. It's just a farming town. There's not really anything here, but the farming town because <clears throat> in Acolco, what it is is that there's a church here. When Miguel Adago came through, when they were kicking out the French, and he got the Mexicans to rise up. And he's like, we got to kick them out. Then it was a bloodbath because they killed everybody, all the French. They didn't just kill the, the, the ones that were, you know, that were, that was a tyranny. They killed all the good people too, which is unfortunate fallout of that. But he was held up here at a church here for a while. He was here for a few months. And that makes this town historic because the church, I think, is 1560, I think. Oh, and wow. Then, oh, yeah. Old stuff, man. Old stuff here. Like, it's crazy to come into this town and just go, like, I'm not really into churches at all. But it is pretty cool to go up there and look at the architecture of the place. So that's why this got the Magic Town status. And now it's, like I said, man, pastries and ice cream. It's ridiculous. It's like throwing the dice. Which one are you going to get after dinner? That's really it's crazy. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> the place sounds amazing, dude. It is. Like I said, I mean, they're really beautiful towns. So and people come here because I, I've grabbed a number of people that have been to the Potrero. And uh, not for nothing, but El Potrero Chico. Where I had my house inside the canyon was absolutely magnificent. But sooner or later, you got to go down to that town. And that town is a complete 
dump, <laughs> you know? So when people have gone to the Potrero and they've been there climbing, if something happens like 40 degree weather, which happens quite frequently in the winter time there, because it's very cold in the winter and very hot in the summer, that part of Mexico. So people know right quick that there's not really much to do. And if you're not rock climbing here, if you want to take a day off, because the sun shines every day here, because we're so high in altitude, the sun shines every day. The air is really clean. Uh, you know, there's everything you want to do. You know, if you, you know, I usually beat people up pretty bad. You know, by the third day of climbing, they're pretty much they're tapping out. You know, they, they need a break. So that's when I send them. Usually, if, depending on what they want to do, some people want to go to the hot springs. Some like go to San Miguel de Allende and go hit the hot springs. If people want to see something really cool, I send them to go see the monarch butterflies because the butterflies. Their, uh, their path of their t- total uh, you know, movement up to the north when they go through here, they go to this one area up in the mountains, and there's like millions upon oh, millions. Oh, yeah, I've seen it on like a, a documentary, <clears throat> but that'd be amazing to see it in person. Exactly. Yeah, it's really cool. And it's this mountain town, and people have come back. I haven't seen it yet, you know, that they go through this path that, that they come through here, but I haven't seen that town yet. But people say it's nice just to drive up there hang out, lay in the grass and just look at the trees and everything because they're just covered with monarch butterflies. And they say that everything just shimmers. They say it's almost like, it's almost like a fairy tale because there's butterflies everywhere bouncing from tree to tree and just like floating around in the air. And it's just really incredible. You know, I've yet to get up there because, you know, I'm always working, dude. (laughs) You know, know, I'm waiting to get up there. But yeah, like you said, there's all sorts of things to do down here, which is really nice. Because when people come down, it's very family friendly. That's a big thing, too. Because say the girl climbs hard and her boyfriend doesn't. I have a situation like that coming up at the end of this month. Uh, uh, He likes to climb. He loves her. But she's the climber. So when they come down, I can send him down to town. And he could just hang down because on the cheese, the wine and cheese trail is what they call it that comes right through here. So there's lots of different wines and lots of different cheeses. So you can just go downtown, people watch, relax, and just drink wine all day, which isn't such a bad thing either. So how do you get down there? <clears throat> Best way, jump on a plane, depending on how your Espanol is. I'm hoping everybody takes Espanol in high school now. Everybody's got to take some type, of, some type of language. But if you get on the plane – you can uh, fly down and you either go into Mexico City and then just jump on a bus, which the buses here are nice. You know, if you go on a bus in the United States, A, you're going to be sitting next to a criminal. B, you're going to be dropped off in the worst part of a town to make your switch. I don't know if you've ever seen how the buses work in the U.S., but they're really not, they're not cutting the mustard. Down here, you get on a bus, and if you get on at night, they have sleeper seats. You get to watch a movie. They give you free food, you know, while you're on there. And you, and you crank right along. They're beautiful buses. So people who have the Espanol, I tell them to fly into Mexico City, jump on a bus, come up to Alculco. If people don't and they want to spend a little bit more money, they can fly into Querétaro, which is an international airport in Querétaro, the state of Querétaro and the city of Querétaro. You fly into that airport and we're 15 minutes away from the airport, which is easy. And that's when I send at city or I tell them to get a rental car, depending oh, wow. on who they are and what they want to do. Yeah, because rental cars are cheap too. It's like 12 bucks a day or something for a rental car. I'm like, what? what? I'm like, how is that possible? <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I got to fact check that. The girl's like, no, it's 12 bucks a day. And I'm like, that's fat, you know? <clears throat> so depending on the situation, depending on what people want to do, if it's, you know, two people or three people, I'll take them in the van and we'll go from area to area and I'll just drop them off at the hotels and the towns. You know, there's like, check, check this out. There's a town here that's called Holotbeck. 
It's not a magic town, but the girls are really pretty. So I give that the magic town status just for the fact that the girls are really pretty there. But besides that, <laughs> there's a Chinese restaurant in that town, right? Like you're in the middle of like nowhere in Mexico. Like you are out there. Like I'm telling you, that's a farming town. But then you come around the corner and there's this Chinese restaurant with these Chinese people that run it. But like you would think, you would think maybe Mexicans run a Chinese restaurant and you go in there and you start talking to them in Espanol because they don't speak any English. They speak Chinese and Espanol. And they're Espanol and their Spanish is horrible, which mine is pretty, pretty bad too. But, uh, and they just told me they're, they lived in the Hunan province. They used to freeze their ass off. They got tired of it. They saved all their money and they're like, where do we want to go? And so they, what they ended up doing is they ended up, uh, <coughs> coming here to this part of Mexico because it never gets too hot, never gets too cold. So they ended up setting up their business right there in that town. And it's a jamming. It's like, it's good Chinese food. It's like, you can't believe it. You're like, this stuff's pretty rad. And they like have like a two things on a plate for $3, three things on a plate for $4, four things on a plate for $5, or you can get the buffet for $6. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, after climbing all day, my buddy Mark from Canada, who's like one of the strongest dudes in the, in the you know, in the world pretty much. Cause he's two, he's our, he's our size. He's 205 pounds, but he climbs five fourteens. So he's like one of the strongest climbers in the world. He goes in there and he wrecked them, man. He wrecked their buffet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can imagine after a long climbing. day of climbing. Yeah. Oh man. He'd go in there and he'd be like buffet. She's like, no. No buffet, no buffet. <laughs> I'm like, what? It says it right there on the wall, and she's like almost hovering over her food, like she's not going to give it to him. And I'm like, man, I'm like, dude, you broke them. They don't want to give you the buffet anymore because you're wrecking them. You're going to put them out of business. So yeah, it's pretty incredible. You know, great town, little Chinese restaurant in there. That's really good. There's other restaurants that are good too. But after we get done climbing, you just can't beat it, man. Three different things on the plate for like four bucks or whatever it is. I'm like, oh man, forget about it. You know, <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's a really good time. It's a beautiful place. I'm looking for to buy a house right in this town here right now in Aculco because I sold my place up in the Potrero. So I'm looking for a place down here and I've just went and looked at like six different properties the other day. Six properties, man. Oh, it took like all day. Holy crows. You got to talk to each person because in Mexico, man, everything's about, you know, social nature. So every time you go to somebody's house, man, they want to have full on conversations. And I'm like dying, man. I'm dying. <laughs> I have so much <laughs> stuff to do. But yeah, I looked at a bunch of properties. One of them dates all the way back to the 1600s, this property, like this, the stonework and stuff. It's rad. That's it needs cool. to be rebuilt. Yeah, it needs to be rebuilt. But it was like, it's really big. And in the back of it, it's got its own, like, this like it almost looks like a pool, but it isn't a pool because there's two different kinds of water that comes through here. There's salt water. How the hell that's possible? I don't know because we're in the middle of Mexico. And then there's fresh water. And in the back of this property, they have their own huge well back there that fills up with water. And I'm not sure which one of the two waters it is, but it's just cool that this property has its own water source. You know, it's just pretty amazing. So we'll see. Like I said, I got to talk to a couple investors on that one because for me to drop that nut, man, that's going to be a big one. So it needs to be a lot of it needs to be rebuilt. It's fallen in disrepair, but it is right on the main square of this town, so it's always going to be worth money. You know, it's right yeah. on the main square. That, that is weird that there would be a saltwater source, though, right? <laughs> People all say the same thing. They're underground rivers, and the one water is salty. That's not that's what they say. It's salty. They don't say anything else but salt. And I'm like. Who the hell ever heard of a salt river? There's no such thing as a salt river. So I got to get to the bottom of that. I got to do some more research. But more people have said it than not. 
you know, they say the same thing, that there's sweet water, then there's salt water. So I got to find out. Now, this is all volcanic zones. Maybe that has something to do with it. I have no idea, but this is a huge volcanic area. You know, oh, well, yeah. well, I didn't especially mention the, the volcanoes so high, too. You know? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you want to go down and you want to do, and you want to go hang at the volcanoes, that's that's just south of Mexico City. You could just go check out Orizaba. The hell long to climb up that thing? Because freezing cold, people die up there. But I'll certainly go check it out. You know, you got Orizaba <laughs> to go check out too. You know what I mean? There's one crag here. That everybody says it's really rad. It's like two and a half hour walk uphill. I'm like, oh hell no. I'm not going two and a half hours up that hill. Then my buddy, my buddy Rob's down here, and he's like, "Well, maybe we should just go check it out." I'm like, "All right, dude. I'm not carrying all that all that climbing gear." And I said, "I'll go check it out, but I'm not carrying all that stuff two and a half hours uphill. That seems kind of out of control for me, man. I'm a little lazy." But yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> two and a half hours uphill. Yeah, I'm like Fuck for that. what? That's got to be one really good crag. Like, I know, man, right? Something. I'm like, that's a long, like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure if it's a volcano, that's what you're going up on the side of a volcano. Like, it's not even going to be like a gradual grade. You're probably going to be totally huffing it up there. I'm like, no way, man. I can't carry enough water. I need a pack mule just for the water I drink, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, pretty crazy. So, yeah, like I said, uh, we'll see. You know, we'll see. I'll go check out these houses. Everybody's, you know, everybody here has got an idea of what they want as far as price and things like that. And what I'll do first is just find out what it will take to rebuild that thing, go back in there, try to take some measurements, try to get an idea of what wood costs and things like that. Because if I'm going to, if I'm going to get involved with it, I want to bring it back with the clay tile roofs, the wood rafters. I want everything to be like it was when they built it 150 years ago, which they still can do here, you know? So that way you still keep the charm of the town because nothing pisses me off more then when somebody comes in, maybe knocks something down and puts up some really ugly structure, and you know, in yeah. a town that, that has a and it doesn't feel match to it. anything around. Doesn't it. Doesn't match anything. Yeah, <clears throat> like this one. Yeah, I'd really like to put it back together and make it nice. You know, so we'll see. Like I said, I'll keep looking around. But this is really the town because, man, like I said, I'm, you know, the older you get, I grew up like I don't know. Like I'd figure Iowa's pretty rural too, but you pretty much have to get into the car, right, to get anywhere. Like if you want to go to the store, can you just go out and walk down the street and get to the store? No, no, no. no. I, I live in a small town that's kind of outside of a bigger town, and so to get that's to a cool. grocery store, it takes me like ten minutes or so in the car. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, where and I grew I can up still in, see so the exactly stars at night, so it's a it's exactly a good beautiful. Yeah, no, that's good for the kids too. No, that's beautiful. That's why I always see you guys hiking and such like that. Cause you have, you're, you're close enough to a rural, 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 oh, yeah. you know, things where you can go. <laughs> exactly. We like got them here, out in the woods yeah. all the time. <laughs> exactly. Which is cool. You know, that's, I mean, that's exactly what they should be doing. So that's, that's discovery. Oh, that's what, dude, that's what sets you on the path. This summer <laughs> we'll be out developing a new crag. And so the boys are excited to go out and hang out with us while we're doing that. And, and I told them like, I'll get you each a little mini pickaxe. And you can you can just fill up buckets with rocks exactly. and dirt for me, and they like got so excited about it. I'll be like, exactly. it's just like Minecraft, but not like Minecraft. <laughs> exactly. Like there won't be any gold in there, but you can certainly hook some buckets around. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 that's great because that's exactly what they need. I think that's a huge part of what what we lost in our culture in the United States is that with all this technology, kids really can just sit in one spot. And they just, that's it. You know, it's this, it's this whole idea, the mentality that nobody really wants to go out and do anything. Yeah. And that's really going to hurt us in the long run because these national parks were set up in the late 1800s for the specific reason that they were so beautiful that they had to keep them like that forever because they're so out of the ordinary, like Arches National Park or Canyonlands or Rocky Mountain National Park 
or if you go up to Yellowstone, places that you absolutely positively want to go with the kids, Yellowstone, you could do it so inexpensively. If you go up there and you do it at the right time of year, you just rent a RV because RVs are so inexpensive. It's just the gas. And then you go to places like that and see them, and they're incredible. And you're setting your kids on the path of wanting to do that because you're spending time outdoors. Yeah. You know? My younger cousin goes up there and I think he's worked the last couple summers. Beautiful. Or so. Beautiful. It's, and so, yeah, he yeah. puts some good pictures up. Oh yeah. Cause they give you a name tag and they tell you where you're from on the name tag. So when you meet people in these national parks, it says, Oh, my name's John and I'm from East, you know, East, East Jabib, you know, you know, Kentucky or whatever, you know, and then people can talk to you about it. And it's really nice because, uh, it gives everybody an idea of how the national parks are could be important all the way up on Montana to somebody all the way down there in Kentucky. And that's really cool because they are, they're special and they, and they really have to be protected for not, you know, these jerk offs that are trying to sell them off right now, but for kids 200 years from now, because with all the population that's going to be on the earth, then it's going to be even more important to have all that, that open space. Exactly. So that's huge. And, you know, it's cool, good, you know, and it's good for your sons to go out there and see you guys hustling around and doing stuff like that and developing these crags because as they get older and they get into climbing and they like it and they start bringing their friends out there because then they're the mentors because you taught them everything they needed to know. Then they'd be like, oh, yeah, my dad put this up in 2018. They're like, really? <laughs> your dad? <laughs> yeah, well, back That's the then, hope. you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it really is. It works out really nicely. But the, the, the first thing is, is just, you know, that's the wonderment of the outdoors. And that's where I'm, I'm at right now down here. You know, I mean, if I could do the camps and this year I did a, uh, 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 more or less, I asked, which I love Facebook, as I've asked all my friends right before I left New York, like two months before I left, if they would be willing to donate any gold gear that they have, because in the town of Bernal, I want to get the kids climbing in that town who live in that town. Because the travesty of climbing in a lot of places like the Red River Gorge is that people who live in the Red really don't climb because they don't have the money. People flood in there to climb, but nobody who lives there really climbs. Bernal's the same way. You know, like it's a really nice town, but it's really, you know, they're farmers. So I collected all this gear. And now last year I met five little kids at a party that said that they would love to try climbing. They would love to try climbing. All they kept saying is how much, how cool they thought it was. Well, now I have the harnesses. I have everything that I need to take these little kids out. So now I could take these kids who would never have opportunity and uh, see what they think. You know, I figure the first thing I'll do is take those five little kids because I told them I would. So right off the bat, that's my word. Like I'm taking these kids out. And it was crazy because the one little girl had a cleft, not cleft lip, cleft palate. So she had the hole up in the top of her mouth. So when she was talking, she had a very, like a hum to what she was saying. So I'm talking, like I walk up, there's five little kids. She's the only one talking to me. My Espanol is total shit. I can't really understand what she's saying because she does have a speech impediment and she just wants to talk. She's, where are you from? What are you doing here? Why? Where? When? How? You know? <laughs> and I'm like talking to her and I can hardly understand her. And I keep saying like, what, what, what? And I just kept telling her my Espanol is really bad, you know? So I got to know these five little kids. And then the mom comes out and she screams at them to come in to eat. And they all just looked at mom and they just looked at me and they just totally ignored their mom for like another 20 minutes while we sit there and talk, you know? <laughs> so now I'm going to go back. So I know exactly where to find them. So I know the one kid who lives there and I know exactly how to get it back a hold of them. So I'm going to take these little kids out, <laughs> take them out and have like two moms and the five kids 
because you know I can't you know I can't be out there with these little kids out there running around killing themselves. So yeah, yeah. So that's the plan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I can't keep you at home with these kids. So I figure I'll tell the moms. I'll be like, I need two moms because you don't know me from Jack Adam anyway. So I need two moms, five kids or six kids, and then well, I'll tell one of the mothers, you better make lunch because they're going to want it. So what's really nice, we'll go out and we'll spend a day out, you know, and all I'll do is put up some top ropes on the slabs and let these kids just slab climb with their sneakers with harnesses on. Yeah. You know, and let them check it out. <laughs> and then the, and I figure <clears throat> the next step is going to the school and getting the five best kids and taking them out and the five worst kids, you know, trying to filter that out. So that's kind of my game plan now because the five best kids, they deserve to go out climbing in that school because they live there in that town and, you know, opportunity and just talk about school and things like that. And the five worst kids, let me get them out there and find out what their situation is and just talk to them and be like, you know, See you if might want to pay a little positive. Bit. Exactly. Exactly. You might want to pay a little bit more attention to school. You think this is cool because, you know, if you don't pay attention to school and you don't get a good education, then you're going to be working six days a week and you will probably won't ever have the opportunity to do this because you're going to be tired, you know, and try to get a hold of these kids and see what we can do. So that's the plan right now. Oh, What's really nice cool. this year? I have all the gear, you know, I mean, that's one thing nice about being in New York state is when you put the shout out on Facebook, everybody's either had kids or they got extra gear laying around. One girl, one girl went and she solicited a, a climbing company and she uh, guilted them into giving her a bunch of stuff. So she brought down a bunch of new stuff because they don't want to give her anything. Yeah. And she wouldn't let up on it, man. She was like a pit bull on them. She just stayed with it. And she brought me down a bunch of stuff. And I have pictures of everybody that donated with ropes in their hands or gear in their hands. So that way, when I finally do get all these kids out, I'll uh, go through and list everybody and thank everybody for everything they gave me. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, and uh, like I said, it's all coming together. It's just a matter of, you know, keeping my guides working. And that's with people coming down here rock climbing, you know. I mean, that's the biggest thing is to keep these guys working because I know as a business owner in the past and having employees was that, uh, you know, that's a huge responsibility because I want to keep them, you know, I want to keep it so that they don't have to go out and look for other work, you know, at least in the wintertime right now. And then once I can figure out a, a business plan for uh, the, the, the camps, you know, as far as transportation and all that, and I'll figure out where the sweet spot is for that. And maybe the guys, maybe we'll have to get paid a little bit less because of how it works monetarily. But who knows? Like I said, first, first thing I got to do is I got to go sit in one of those climbing gyms and see how many little kids are cruising around there. And then we'll go from there. But Cadetro, very wealthy city. You know, they're doing great. So, you know, it's all coming together. It's all coming together. <laughs> little by little, man. Awesome. That's the thing. Yeah, nothing really happens overnight, <laughs> you know. Yeah, nothing happens overnight. And at the same time, go and climb with boys because I have friends rolling in all the time. I have friends coming in from West Virginia. I have a friend here right now who's uh, in from Pennsylvania because he couldn't take the cold anymore. So he just split. He can work them down here. And then I have oh, friends coming in from West Virginia. Oh, yeah. He's really lucky for sure. That's quite fortunate that he can just all of a sudden bolt out. And uh, <laughs> Dude, yeah. It's real field negative 18 degrees <laughs> outside my house right now. <laughs> it's awful <laughs> it sucks yeah. I, I barely even want to go out and hike right now unless i'm it's hiking like like, like i took <laughs> i took my seven-year-old seven-year-old out and hiked on sunday but it was fine because we just hiked in a frozen creek and so we were down out of the wind but as soon exactly. as we got back out right. of it oh brutal, brutal. 
Yeah, you wonder why the dog craps the bed, man. You wonder why the dog's crapping right at the front door, man. You don't want to go out there either. <laughs> no doubt, man. He's like, just leave that load of crap for a little bit. It'll freeze up. But uh, yeah, no, it's the truth. Yeah, no, because I worked outside for a number of years uh, on the East Coast. I had a construction business. The guy's working for me. We worked all year long. And uh, like I said, it's, it's a tough thing, man. The winter times are the winter times pretty tough. Like I said, if the sun was out every day, it's a lot easier to deal with. So by about, you know, mid-January, beginning of February, that's when the phone really starts ringing. That's when people start considering the fact that they want to get the hell out of Dodge for a yeah. week. You know, they're like, man, we got to get out of here. But yeah, no, no. So like I said, I think that uh, I'm also an illegal alien down here. I, got an, I have an immigration attorney right now that's putting all the paperwork together so that I can get legal down here. Because what I'm paying the guys right now is pretty much kind of what you would consider off the books, even though I'm insured as a company and everything like that. you got to have insurance. But I'm paying the guys each day for their work, and I want to get it so that I can pay into their Social Security. You know, I want to get it so I'm on the level. Because oh, if I'm good. creating these jobs, yeah, if I'm creating jobs for these guys and they're getting paid what they are, uh, a restaurant owner here is like, go to this immigration attorney and get the process started now. Because he's like, you want to get your dual citizenship. So that way you can, uh, you know, get, get everything, you know, get everything on the books pretty for the most part, which is what I want to do. You know, I want to get these guys so that, you know, my oldest guide right now, he's, I'm 49, he's 45 and, uh, he's not really that great with money. You know what I mean? When I talk to him about stuff, I'm like, dude, you know, you got to start thinking about this. So that's why I want to get paying into his, his social security. And then the youngest guy I have worked for me, he's in his twenties and, uh, this could be a really viable career for him, you know, Yeah, to, to, to guide. Yeah. For what I'm going to pay him a day, it's making more than his parents ever made. I mean, you if know? you can drum up enough, I mean, just awareness that that sort of climbing is down there and that sort of environment is yep. down there, because almost every time I hear about people going climbing in Mexico, it's El Portrero. Exactly. Oh man. Like I said, the limestone, I put up on the 40 routes there, 40 pitches of climbing that I did over the years. I mean, I put so much love into that place, building trails, putting up climbs, trying to get the town on board with getting a bathroom open out in the Canyon, because you know, why wouldn't you have a bathroom open out there? They have the bathrooms for the pool complex, open up a bathroom. I put so much time and effort into making that place what it was. And after a while, man, you get so tired of yelling and screaming to a town that just doesn't care that when I finally did travel down here in 2015 and all of a sudden I'm sitting in front of people and the, the, you know, the person who is in the division of tourism all of a sudden bounces right into the restaurant and they sit down. They're like, so tell me about where you're from. So then all of a sudden you have people sitting around you that are actively trying to make the place better. Just like that. You know, one person calls another person. They're like, there's a rock climber here right now and you might want to talk to this guy. And then they just come right on in. They're like, hello, my name's so-and-so. And we want to see what we can do to bring more climbers into this town. And that's, you know, that's my type of people. You know, forward thinking. Let's keep things moving. And that's what we're doing right now. They're trying to figure it out right now. I'm trying to figure it out with the town as well, which is another thing on the plate. And my plate is so full. But uh, the division of tourism for the town I'm in right now, they either want to do repelling or they want to try to get their people on board with a single pitch instructor type certification so that that way they can have people come here and, you know, they can go out and belay them. So we're trying to figure that out right now. You know, first thing is first, this, who would be interested in doing that? And they have to figure out how to rock climb. So I said, you know, I'll donate my time because I got it to take some of the people from this town out. But we got to figure out who would want to be into it 
and who's going to be committed enough that if we put this together that they can take over once they get all everything they need to know. You know, because a lot of people do pour into this town. And, oh, the Magic Town status, they have to keep evolving. They just don't get it. Once they get it, like here in this town, they had a brew fest this year with all the local breweries from all over this part of Mexico. And they came in here and they did a brew fest. So that's part of the Magic Town status is that all of a sudden they have to keep on evolving and they have to keep on evolving to keep that status, which is cool because they just can't rest on their laurels. Yeah, yeah, so they want to they want to mix rock climbing into it. Yeah, I was just gonna say it would definitely be a good tourism pull. Um, mm-hmm. How did uh, how did a lot of the routes get in there? Were they there when you showed up, or have you put up a bunch? Yeah, of them there? Uh, Bernal, I put up a bunch, and I just wrote a book, a guidebook for Bernal because they had it's been years since they had a guidebook for so Peña de Bernal. I just got the guidebook. I busted it out this past year, hours and hours of research, and now uh, here at Aculco, this is a crack climbing area. So with the crack climbing, there's been climbers that have come through here since the 80s. And it's pretty much, you know, all first, you know, all the ascents have been put up and they all have, you know, all the routes and the grades are in here. But the crazy part is, is because trad climbing equipment is so expensive that I'd say 80% of the cracks are grown over and dirty because nobody's climbing. Oh, wow. So, yeah, someone's got to put some work into cleaning. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm doing next month is I'm doing... A single pitch instructor type course for people from the climbing gyms that they can come out. But we're just going to do what's called the uh, the top side management. So we stand at the top of the cliffs and I teach them with a static rope how to build anchors. So you can go from one tree to another tree, how you get safely to the edge of the cliff, you know, tie it in a knot, put your two carabiners on that, put the rope in it, drop the rope to the bottom of the cliff, walk down around top rope. Because this whole cliff here is top rubble. So if I can get 15 people next month to come out and take this course, and I'll explain to them, I'm teaching you. You guys paid. But what you paid is going to pay back to you time and time again. Because now you go teach your friends how to do these anchors. Because if people don't have the trad climbing equipment to climb here, they should not be like barred and kept out of here from climbing because they don't have the gear. They should be able to come in with a static rope set up a nice solid anchor and have a good time. And by doing that, teaching these people, and if they keep telling their friends and ever their friends tell their friends, and they teach each other what I'm going to teach them the safe way through the American Mountain Guides Association, how to build a top rope anchor, then all these cracks will be clean. Because in time, people are going to look at the book and be like, wow, that looks pretty rad. Why don't we just set up an anchor, rip all that grass out of there, and let's see what this thing's like. And yeah. then it should breathe more life back into a place that's kind of fallen off the map. Yeah. You really just need to develop that local climbing scene and then all all the good looking stuff will clean itself up because someone will come along and be motivated. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, when I, the first time I got here, I started at the very left end of the cliffs with a friend and we were wrapping over lines, cleaning them and doing like three, four, five a day and then going and cleaning, then going climbing something that will clean. And then going back and climbing those routes like a week later, because I'm a total stoner, I would just forget about what we did and then just go and <laughs> climb those routes, you know? So now we got like 25 or 30 routes that were previously really dirty, and we've launched all the crap off of them and, and ripped all the you know grass out of the cracks and cleaned them all out. And slowly but surely, we're getting around, but not, not to the extent that we need. So I'll do the top rope management course. Hopefully I can get 20 people into it, if not 15. And... uh 
because I can have three guides there, and that'll keep the numbers to where we can pay attention to everybody and get everybody, you know, to where they have the knowledge is solid. You know, you can't be outnumbered too much. Four to one's usually good. You know, so you can do five to one. So fifteen people probably that'll probably be max if we could do fifteen, and then teach them how to build anchors. Really, you know, and then do it on a Saturday, and then that way the Sunday they can just hang out there, and the next day they get to practice it. And then they get to come back the next weekend. And then all of a sudden, these people that were old didn't really know how to get outdoors because they didn't have a lot of the equipment. All of a sudden, they have a static rope, dynamic rope, two carabiners, and their, their regular climbing gear, and they're in it. You know, <clears throat> that gives them opportunity. Yeah, that's a pretty inexpensive way to get into climbing. It really is. You know, it really is. You know, for because for your, your rope's going to last, you know, for a top rope can last indefinitely. A static line, if you take care of us indefinitely. And then from there, you know, that's pretty much it. You know, I mean, you got your shoes, your harness and things. But, you know, we'll see. You know, we'll see. I mean, I'm going to – I have it all written out and I have it, you know, just getting ready to go to my main guide. So that way when I do the – you know, when I do go through and put it right in Espanol just to make sure I'm not telling anybody I'm pregnant. You know what I mean? Because sometimes I use the wrong verb <laughs> in places. You know what I mean? <laughs> You know, I got to make sure I get this thing vetted by somebody before I go put it in the climbing gyms to make sure it actually makes sense. But yeah, that's it. And, you know, and then hopefully I'll do, oh, I didn't mention that I have 600 feet of static rope. So six of the people want to buy it. Yeah, six people can buy a hundred foot sections. So that way, uh, at least six feet people from this first class can buy static rope at a, at a price. They can never, they can never get it for this price. Because I bought it up in the States and I get a pro deal. So I bring it down here, give it to them at my pro deal price. So that way they can right there on the spot. They got a static rope. The one same rope that they were working with to learn the course, they can buy. You know, at a really good price. So that way that'll kind of ensure. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I thought ahead. You know, I mean, I kind of thought ahead on this one. And then uh, if it goes over big with the first class, I'll do one again in the spring. And I'll have my buddy bring more static rope down to me. You know, I'll have him bring down a whole spool. So that way people have everything they need. Teach them, teach them, teach them. Make sure they got it good. Make sure they're totally safe. Make sure they understand everything. Then we'll go climbing. Teach them all the stuff down by belaying. Teach them everything they need to know to keep each other safe when people are different weights and things like that. And then uh, once the end of that day, you know, we'll all get together. And then uh, the next day they can go do it themselves. That sounds like a fun day. (laughs) <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Like I said, I'm putting it together right now, and I can't see how it wouldn't work out because the price is going to be so reasonable. I'm super keeping the price super low, you know, artificially low, just to pay for the guides. Like I said, I'm not looking to make any money on it. I'm looking to keep those guys going, to keep them working, and also get the guides with me working the same day in the same place so they can see how I interact with people because that's a huge part of it as well. Yeah, because there is a cultural difference. So if they see how I talk to people and how I interact and how I do it, then the next time that we do another, you know, one of these classes, then they will, you know, be that much smoother. You know, every, you know, it's just as this is going to be this first class is really going to be the, uh, you know, the prototype to get things going. You know, so, and what I want to serve, I want to, I want a climbing community. You yeah, know, I want them to build their climbing community from gym climbers and get them now. You know, get the gym climbers out there and get these places going. Do you have like uh, pricing and everything listed on your website? Yeah, for guides, oh, for sure. Yeah, if people want to come down from the states, oh, yeah. Like I said, the sweet spot. You know, three hundred and sixty dollars for for uh, four people. You know, that's like ninety dollars a person. You know, 
that's that's a beautiful price. So if four people come down, they could split it, you know, split the cost of the guiding, and then we can go out. You know, I price that aggressively as well. That way, uh, you know, one person tells their their three friends, and that's the way it seems to be working down here. Sometimes I get singles because people just want to come down and they don't want to, they don't want, they, you know, they just want to climb, climb, climb. But with that three, you know, with the four person pricing, it really works out nicely. And it's super yeah. expensive to get down here. You know, it's really reasonable, especially people from Texas. If you're, you know, people living in Texas, man, holy crows, Houston or uh, Dallas, you can jump on a plane and be down here in 90 minutes from Texas. It takes longer to park your car and get through all that stupid ass uh, security stuff than it does once you're in the plane. And moving. <laughs> yeah, 90 minute plane ride's not bad. <laughs> it's not bad, right? Yeah. People I just did like a 10 hour down. one not too long ago and Ugh, not in a hurry brutal. to do that again. Oh, brutal. We're too big for that crap, man. I'm so big, man. <laughs> right? uh, oh, man. I'm like, I'm like, feel like a veal calf in there. I'm like, this is just so wrong. Then I just try to get up and God, if I'm jammed in against the wall, that's the worst. If you're all the way jammed in there, because then you can't move at all. Yeah, that's just brutal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I was not built for planes. Plus, I'm a little bit of a control freak in a certain way that if I'm on a plane and something goes wrong, what am I going to do, man? Just take it? You know what I mean? Like if something like I like to kind of try to be in control of my destiny. Yeah, one one big pocket of turbulence and it tells you exactly how how out of control you are. You know, you have no control over the situation whatsoever. So yeah, that was one of those things that I just kept putting out of my mind through the whole flight. Just oh, like, man. oh my god, one little thing could go wrong and this whole thing's just gonna fucking rip oh, apart yeah, at high that's altitude. Exactly what I'm thinking. Exactly. I know that's exactly <laughs> why I don't sleep on planes. Exactly. I'm like thinking, what's exactly going to happen, man? What's the chance of survival here? Are we over water? <laughs> like, what exactly is going on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why I don't fly too much. People are like, man, have you ever been climbing in Spain? I'm like, well, can I get my van there? I'm like, so if I can get my van there, maybe I'll go. But otherwise, forget it, man. I like taking my van everywhere. Because that way, when I get bored, <laughs> I just go, oh, I'm leaving. And that's it. I just get in the van and leave. What's no, the furthest you've dro- uh, uh, driven for climbing? Uh, I guess all the way down here. Right, because I drive all the way down to here to Mexico City, you know. So if I go south of Mexico City this season, which I'm probably going to do here in a week or two with my buddy, we're going to go look for some areas that are kind of down towards what would be south southern Mexico. That'll be the farthest I've driven, you know, because I've been all the way up to Toronto, but Toronto doesn't really count, you know. If you know, I know it's Canada and all, but it's really easy to get there. Down here, it's a little <laughs> more involved, <laughs> you know. Toronto's Toronto's just like the United States, but they're just a lot nicer, you know. So it's like kind of different, but yeah. So like I said, we'll travel a little bit. I mean, we could go to all the way down into Guatemala. We could just cross right over and go into Guatemala and just have lunch, then come back. But we'll see your Belize and things like that. But we'll see, you know, <laughs> we'll see what goes on. I know I'm so enamored by Mexico though, because there's so much rock here. There's just so much like you were saying about going and developing a new crag there in Iowa. Like it's just so amazing. That there's just so much rock here because they're just the first generation climbers or second generation, let's say. Some of the people I know, their fathers climbed, you know, or mothers, you know, fathers and mothers climbed, but these are second generation climbers. I mean, that's it. You know, I mean, you go over to Europe, you've got families, you know, got, you know, great, great grandpa was climbing way back in the, he did the Iger back in the day, you know. Here, there's so much cliffs. And Mexican uh, climbers are funny because they're only picking the lowest fruit. Like where these climbing areas, they're like five minute walk, 10 minute walk. What's out there if you have to walk 45 minutes? Of course, I'm not walking uphill, but if I have to walk 45 minutes, you know, what do you find then? 
So that's that's the kind of what draws me to this area too. You know, it's going and developing more areas, developing more routes. Yeah, developing's you fun. Know? It's cool to walk out and see something that's like, you know what? I might be the first. This might be yeah. the first set of climbers' eyes that's really looked at this and looked at exactly. it exactly from, from that mm-hmm. sort of angle. And oh yeah, to try and explain to people, man, once you're a developer, once you get in developing climbs and all the work that goes into it, and you put it out there, and then you climb it, and you're like, I knew that would go. I thought it was going to be easier, but I knew that would go. Then, <laughs> That's you know, that sentence, Everything's right? always harder, right? <laughs> everything's always harder than you think it's going to be. But it's cool to see other people come in, too. And all of a sudden, them get on the routes. And they're like, man, you know, because it is a vertical chess game. Everything about climbing really is about how do you figure out how to use your body, you know, and how to get through certain equations vertically. And, you know, think about what moves going to affect things when. Right. Yeah. Do you want to? Do I want my left hand up? My right hand up? If I bring my right hand up, is my left hand going to be in the right place? Am I going to be able to stand up with this? And it's just like you know, it's a vertical chess game that really makes you uh, just totally tune out everything else in the world because you're living in the moment and uh, just keep moving, you know, vertically. You know, how do you how do you get from the ground up to the top without falling off? Yeah, just that stepping yeah. up is a good feeling. Just that stepping up is a good feeling. Every yeah. time you make a move, every time you get a little bit, it's accomplishment, you know? Every time you finish a climb that you had never been on before and you get through it without falling, that's a huge accomplishment. And then if you do fall off and then you're like, oh, I made this mistake, and then you go back down to the ground and you immediately correct it and then get going, that's amazing too. You know, I mean, Troy, uh, which is both of our mutual friends, that's how we met each other. I mean, that dude, he's a machine. Like, I've never seen anything like that, dude. I mean, he just, like, <laughs> and not only does he move through the climbs, like, what's he got, 160 climbs over there at Cathedral Domain now? Not only does he move through them, but he remembers, like, every move of every climb. Like, all he has to do is once, and then it's, like, charted. I'm like, if I did, you know, I just did a climb today, I'm going to forget it by tomorrow. I'm like, how does yeah. he remember all this stuff? Yeah, he was you born know, to be a amazing. climber, you could tell. Yeah, he was like, it's just like, you know, it's just the way he thinks about things, the way his body breaks it down, and the way his memory, his mind, you know, puts it in. It just categorizes everything. Yeah, he's such an interesting dude. Like I said, but again, he's from Iowa. The only down, I've been through Iowa so many times, and I broke down in Iowa with this van a number of years ago. And uh, I was just coming back from Vegas after the supernova, and... uh I was coming, driving back. I was living in Vegas, working in Vegas, and of course, the economy supernova in 2007. I think it was 2008, and I was dragging a trailer across 80 or whatever it is that goes through Iowa. Yeah. And my, my catalytic converter clogged up, and I pulled off the highway. I knew it was the cat because, you know, heat's good, and the temperature's good, oil's good, everything's good, but I got no power. Like the van's not running. I'm dragging a trailer. I can't go more than 20 miles an hour. So I pulled off the off ramp, and there was a wrecker right there, a tow truck, and I asked him, I said, hey, where's there a shop around here? I got problems in my van. I need to go to a shop. And he's like, Oh, well just follow me. Like you got one like right down the road. So I followed him down the road. And then as soon as we get out, he's like, well, what's going on? I'm like, the cattle converters clogged. And he goes, well, how do you know? I'm like, well, I just know. And he's like, well, let's check. So sure enough, there's cattle converter, in, you know, Iowa, beautiful people. He's like, let me just call over to Ford. Cause this might be under warranty. Would that happen in New Jersey? hell no nobody's gonna be making that call you know so he calls up the ford dealer and i'm like man i got like seventy nine thousand miles on this on this on this van and he's like oh he's like it might be you know you know covered so he calls up ford and they're like oh sure eighty thousand miles 
So I was in, you know, 79,000, 80,000 miles. I was right there. So like, I'm like, Oh, terrific. He's like, well, you got to drive over to the Ford dealer. I'm like, can I leave the trailer here? He's like, oh, yeah, just park it around back, of course, because they're the nicest people in the world. And then I drive over to the Ford dealer, and then he's like, it's going to take six days to get the part. Ooh. And I'm like, six days? I'm like, I can get a Kiwi, I can get a, an Apple from, like, all the way across the world in one day. I can get, like, <laughs> Granny Smith apples delivered, but you can't get a part from Detroit in five days. And he's like, it's just the way it is. He's like, it's going to be a bunch of days. So I... Uh, I was like, oh man, this really stinks. So I took my dog and we went and we went to like a state park. You know, I mean, I knew where they cracked the fitting so that it was like the exhaust was blowing out from underneath the van. So the van would run. So I just cracked that fitting, moved the exhaust out of the way and drove to a state park. And uh, I was in the town shopping. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to be here for five days. Everybody get some food, you know, cooking the van. And like Iowa is such a beautiful place. I'm in there and I'm looking at something on the shelf and a lady looks up to me. She's like, you're not from around here, are you? And I'm like, well, how would you know that? She's like, well, you're not looking like a farmer. She's like, this is a farming community, and you're not from around here. So I told her my whole story and how the van broke down. You know what she tells me? She's like, you can come stay at my house if you want. And I'm like, what? I'm like, what? You're inviting a total stranger to come stay at your house? She's like, well, yeah, you're broke down here in Iowa. You know, you're going to need somewhere to stay. And I'm like, well, I got a conversion van. And I said, that's really nice. You know, I said, I got the bed in the van. I'm over in the state park over there. I said, but I said, that's really nice of you, you know. And that's like Troy. You know, that's like you. Everybody's so nice in that part of the you know, U.S. You know, I picked up a guy hitchhiking when I was going to the state park. And he told me all about the soil there, all about the trains that came through that area, the settling of Iowa. And it's like, I'm driving this guy who was a hitchhiker for like 55 minutes. And I'm like, do you live around here? He's like, nah, another 10 minutes down the road. I'm like, you hitchhike? He's like, every day. And I'm like, and you get picked up. And he's like, every day. And I'm like, he's like, you have to understand. He's like, everybody knows everybody for the most part. And he goes, I get picked up. He's like, I very hardly walk every anywhere. He's like, I don't really even need a car because I just get picked up everywhere I go. And I just go back and forth hitchhiking. And I thought that was really interesting. You know? <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of that before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a really interesting dude. Yeah, really, really interesting part of the Iowa where I was. I can't even remember where it was, but it was a neat state park. So it was sandstone, and it was down in like a gulch, you know what I mean? Like a river valley, and it was just all the trees there were all oak trees, and they didn't want you climbing on the sandstone anymore. They didn't want you climbing on it for whatever reason, but it was cliffs. It was all cliffed out. You were know? you near Ames? I don't know, man. He just, you know, like middle down, of the state? Know. It was the middle of the state for sure. Okay, you might have been near Ledges State Park. That's it was Ledges State Park. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, it was yep, Ledges I've State hiked Park. there before. It's beautiful. Oh, it's beautiful to get caught in Iowa, and then you know, crazy, right? So I'm in that little campground there, and the, the ranger comes through, and he asked me for money, and all I had was like a fifty. And he's like, you know, you don't have to pay. He's like, I don't have change. He's like, I can't make change. So he's like, you don't have to pay. And I'm like, really? I'm like, in New Jersey, they would be like, man, you go down to the store and you get that $50 bill broke and then come back here and then you can pay me. You know what I mean? But yeah. And he's like, and if you go over to that spot over there, you can plug in. You know, if you want heat, he's like, you can plug in over in that spot over there. So now not only did he let me stay for free, but then he's turning me on the, the spot with the electricity. You know, what, what an experience. That's cool. Yeah, and then like three days later, my part came in, put it all back together, and on the road I went, you know? That's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, pretty interesting. You, you got to come up to this part of Iowa where we got all the the uh, limest- the pocketed limestone. 
Definitely. Oh, I definitely want to check oh, it out. Oh, it's so much fun. Absolutely. Um, you know, if I drove through there and I didn't stop in, Troy would disown me. Yeah, you know? little, and that's what I was going to say. you got to try and coordinate it with him because he's the one that will actually be able to show you where the really good stuff is. Exactly. He's a madman. Like I said, I mean, <laughs> when people talk about it, I'm like, you know, when people talk about developing, getting back to what we were talking about being developers, like nobody understands the, the point at which he is so generous to go out there and do all that work so people can climb. And of course, he gets to climb the stuff too, but he puts things down for a second try. You know what I mean? Then he's off moving like it. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's just a <laughs> tremendous amount of work. <laughs> yeah. People, I try to explain to people, like when you go out cragging with them, like first of all, you, you, you can't be a bitch. Like, you're not going to be able to top rope anything. <laughs> you know, if you're planning on bitching out about a route, like, he wants you to pull the rope every time. And I'm like, looking at the, you know, like, like a wibby, or I'm looking at the boys. I'm like, man, I don't think I got it even to get to the top again. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I just top rope this thing. I'm like, man, I just want to get to the top and get my stuff back because I don't think I got it. Yeah. You know? First try, second try, by the third try, man, I'm like, man, I'm getting really tired. I'm like, this is beat. You know, and you don't know if you're ever going to go back to that crag again. She's going to take you to some other faraway crag that nobody knows about. So you, leave, you can't even leave your <laughs> gear up accurate. there. No, you can't. Exactly. No, you can't even grab the draw because it's so steep that you're going to fall off. I'm so tired. I can't even hold on to the draw. Hard times, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, holy crows. So I wait for him to walk around the corner and then I top rope it real quick. Yeah. And wait towards that site. <laughs> I wait him out. I know he's looking at me waiting. We're both looking at each other like, like waiting each other out because he knows I'm going to top rope it. It's so funny, man. I like top roping. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. He's like, don't it's, even think about top rope. He's like, pull that rope out. I'm like, oh my God. It's like bowling with bumpers, but it's fun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's the truth, man. I'm like, man, I'm tired. I'm like, I don't know what that Mountain Dew does for you, man, but I'm, I'm like over here with nothing. You know, I got no juice left. Yeah. But, uh, no. I know. I'd be, uh, I'd be wiped after like five, six pitches. Oh, you yeah, know, course, yeah. so, so for oh, listeners, that's just like five or six climbs. Five or six times to the ground to the top six times. You're good, but you go climbing, you go climbing with my buddy Troy and like, he, like a a minimum of 10. Exactly. And they're all really hard. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. The warm up, I fall off the warm up. I'm like, great. I'm like, where does this leave me? I'm like, where does this leave me? Now my project is the warm up. Where am I going to go from here? Not good. I'm like, not good. I'll tell everybody. You know, another thing is that his grading is all over the board. So you never know what you're getting on. So you know what I mean? Like, Wibby, I get on it. I'm like, all right, I tie in. I'm getting all ready. I got the rope down. I'm kind of like moving my shoulders around trying to get ready. And he just looks at me. And he's like, prepare to hang. And I'm like, what the hell is that thing? Is that to say prepare to hang? I'm like, is it that hard? He's like, just prepare yourself. And I'm like, oh, this is the warm-up. I'm like, terrific. You know what I mean? Like, terrific. Oh, dude, dude, the oh first FA he gave me, like, I worked and worked and worked and then eventually sent it on my birthday, which was pretty cool. So I got my that first FA cool. on my birthday. And then cool. so other people in the group jumped on it. And, you know, I'm like, I'm not really sure what the grade was, but I mean, it took me a few tries. So I'm thinking it's probably mid 10 at that yeah. time. And, yeah. uh, Troy does it and he's like, that's a five nine. And I'm like, there's no <laughs> fucking way that's a five <laughs> fucking nine. Are you me. shitting me? And then, <laughs> totally. and then, what the, and then the other dude, the group prayer is like, 
Hey, for what that's worth, I thought that was about 10C. <laughs> I'm like, thank you. Totally. <laughs> I'm sure it went into his guidebook and it's a nine, dude. I'm positive it went in as a nine. <laughs> oh my God. He's got this route in Cathedral Domain, right? It's 5-8, right? 5-8, you have to go from a stand on the ground and you have to jump and hit the wall and hold on. That's like, amazing. You have, to, you have to dino like a cat and hit the wall, and you're like, what's up? And you hit with both hands, and you hope you hold on to the right spots, so you're going to fall off. And I'm like, not for nothing. I hate to break the grim news to everybody, but I've never in my life seen a 5'8 to where you have to do a dino start to get on the wall just to get it started. Like, that usually takes out of the 5'8 category right there. There's not too many people that are going to be really pleased with having you throw their body at the wall like a piece of spaghetti and hope you hold on. You know? I mean, 5'8 is more or less beginner <laughs> yeah, five inches to be, you know, somewhat casual. Yeah, maybe at some point you're going to be like, eh, but that should be about it. You know what I mean? Like, eh, eh, like, eh, you know, but all of a sudden you're just like, huh, and you got, you got to dig into the retard strength just to get on the thing. And you're like, oh man, where's this leaving me? I'm like, five, eight. Everybody who got on it this year denied that grade. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Everybody, everybody who got on it was like, what the hell kind of 5.8 is that? And I'm like, I don't know, man. I just go with it. All I know is that he develops really, he's really safely. He's really safe developer. So yeah. I'm just like, man, no matter what, if I get in way over my head, I'm not getting hurt. You know, that's the way I look at everything, you know? Yeah. He was a good, yeah. he's a good mentor to have for bolting because he is. Um, yeah. Because I, I don't like the first few routes I did, like I put the bolts way too far apart. And like he just kind of looked at it and he's like, well, climb it and see how scared you are. Exactly. <laughs> and then I get up there and I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Dude, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Oh, who's the asshole bolted this? Oh, yeah. That would be me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I got really wise too, man, over the years because I like now if I got a stance where I'm like hanging on the wall and uh, I know that, you know, there's going to be a move right in front of me. I used to reach up really high and put the bolt up there. And then clip it so that way you can come back down to the stands. And then that way you could, you know, pretty much the bolts up there like a trad climb. It's right in the middle of the crux. But then all of a sudden, a friend of mine's wife, who's like five foot midget, she's like, you know, gets up there. She's like, I can't even reach that bolt. She's like, who's the asshole? Put the bolt up there. And I'm like, oops, there is the evolution just like that. Yep. So now all I do is I take my elbow. You know, if I'm at a stance, I take my elbow, put it as high as I can, and that's where the bolt goes. That's just the bottom line. You know, would I like it higher for sure? But would somebody who anybody everybody shorter than me, they're not they're not going to enjoy that at all. And then for me, if I'm going to do anything and put my time and effort into it, I'm going to make sure other people enjoy it too. Yep. I mean, that's yep. the whole idea. You, know, you got to bolt it for for other people. Exactly. As well, you know, even yeah. if you're putting it up on private property. <laughs> Where yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you still should take that into regard that, hey, you know, maybe someday you're going to bring somebody out here that's not as tall as you. And the beautiful thing about it is, is no matter how old or how weak we get, if we bolt it correctly, we can get in over our heads and never have to worry about it. Like you yeah. just know. That's a like, good thing about know. sport climbing. That's the good thing about sport climbing is no matter how with Troy's stuff and such, if we all take the same idea set, ideals of getting it, making it safe, then we know that, you know. If I'm just totally, you know, weak, you know, if I'm just like a total veal calf out there, then I know that I can still get on it and not have to worry about it, you know, and that's a nice, nice feeling. No matter what route he puts up or you put up or I put up, I know I can get in way over my head and we'll be just fine. Yeah. It's cool. 
You know, it's really cool. And it's like I said, the gluons that I'm doing now with the glue and the stainless steel, they're good for 45 years that we know. Oh, of. nice. So I'm going to be, you know, long, crusty when they even consider having to replace that stuff, you know, versus the old hardware that was 20 years, mm-hmm. 20 years, maybe 25. These, all the stuff I'm doing now, the gym tick gluons or the uh, wave bolt, they're good for 45 years. Yeah, those are nice. That's, a, that's <laughs> not nice. as nice a gear as you can get. I still yeah, mostly you know, use five-piece uh, power bolts yeah, with my bolting. They are great, too, man. Oh, but the power bolts are great. They really the, are. They're the good cool stuff. thing about Iowa is that we've pulled bolts that went in, you know, in the early 90s, and there's barely even surface rust on them. Like, we don't That's really right. have too many issues of rusting here. That's the, right. Yeah. The worst yeah. bolts that, that we saw at Pictured Rocks, which is like kind of the heavily used crag, were just ones where it was a spinner, and so it started to saw, saw the head of the bolt off. Exactly. Yeah, you know, but it, yep, we, we don't sure. have rust problems here. But yeah, people exactly people yeah. still get real, real weirded out. Like if I'm like, yeah, I use plated hardware, and they're like, what the fuck? I'm like, well, if you want to buy my bolts, then you exactly. can fu- then you exactly. can fucking lecture me exactly. on what I'm using. Exactly. But until then, fuck exactly. off. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Do you have any idea what that just cost me? It cost me like eighty bucks to put that route up. So if you're willing to give me the eighty bucks, then okay, man. But otherwise, shut your pie hole. Exactly. <laughs> it's up. It does. Yeah, down here, what I'm doing is I'm taking the plated stuff, the plated, and I'm hitting it with a uh, primer coat. That's for bare metal. And then I put a finished coat over it, and I try to get it at almost the exact same color as the rock. And oh, I'm that's telling perfect. You, some of these routes, you get stand underneath it, and you're like, there's no route here. I'm like, look up up <laughs> here. There's a bolt right above your head. And then people are like, there's no bolts here. I'm like, step back and look at the wall. And they're like, holy crap. They're like, that's really camouflaged. And I'm like, well, that, like in Bernal, is because it's a heavily used area for just regular hiking tourists. And I don't want anything shiny on the wall. Like if people are hiking around that mountain, I want them to be able to hike. And unless they know what they're looking for, they would never even see the bolts and hangers. You know? And that's it. You know? And there's lots of good paints out there. That's one thing nice about, uh, you know, the U.S., is that, you know, you can have all those speckle paints that are like brown with dark brown in them and it just mm-hmm. blows the crap out of the nozzle. I mean, depending on the color rock that you're putting up, you can really get stuff that's really close to what you're what you have there. And if you're painting your, you know, the hangers and the bolt head, I mean, really the weather's not gonna get at that stuff. It really really won't. Because what's in the walls, you know, can stay perfect. Yeah. You know, that's already sheltered. You so, know, in yeah. in places like the red I can understand like you know really promoting the use of stainless just because there's already so much iron in the wall oh yeah that's yeah. gonna i mean it's just gonna jump start any sort of rusting on the bolts but i mean in the limestone here we really don't yeah. worry about it too much no, limestone is pretty much cement that hasn't and, been ground uh, up yeah you know I mean? and, and i paint <laughs> you know, all my hardware too you know i don't exactly. i don't want someone walking up to the line the cliff and seeing shiny stuff yeah yeah and, no it's just obtrusive you yeah know? i mean that's just not the way it is i mean leave no trace goes all the way up to the wall, you know, I mean, you know, we're leaving this stuff behind, but at the same time, you don't have to see it. Yeah. You know, dude, I'm get this. Believer. We had this crag that's out in the middle of nowhere where it was like all jugs pretty much on this one line. And then one move at the top to actually get to the anchors. Some lazy motherfucker went out there and hung three foot log chains off of each of the top anchors with then, uh, cast mussy hooks on the bottom didn't paint any of it and then bragged about it on mountain project like there's shiny new chains up there and like people were like uh, fuck yeah these are great oh and i'm God. like oh. 
Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> These fucking clueless people. That oh my god! Yeah, so I, I, I mean, so it's important to have people like you that are down yeah. there, and you're showing these people. You're going to develop this community, and you're going to show them how it's done the right way. That's where we're at right now. Because everybody's when, pretty cognizant. Yeah, yeah because at. when people start doing it and they don't know the right way, it gives the climbing community a black eye. Oh man, just you don't. You, you should get on the El Potrero climbing site and see exactly one of the past threads that we just had. I think they might have cut it off in the public because I called them a bunch of panhandlers. The guys are all have their hand out for money, but they're developing horrendous run-out routes. And uh, that was a huge part of it. I'm like, you guys, there's no mentors there. I said, you guys don't want to listen to anybody. You don't want to hear what to do to make things right. You're not using the right equipment. It's all in my guidebook up in there, the Potrero. Like, I mean, the first, you know, when the first pages is developing. Like, you want to have four-inch bolts. You want them half-inch. This is what you want to do. You don't want to run stuff out because that's not fair to anybody. And, uh, you know, just think about the future. Think about everybody else who's going to be climbing these routes, you know, clean the route, this, that, and the other thing. And uh, it just so happened, you know, one of the big things is don't don't be going and jumping off somebody else's anchor, wrap bolting, and messing with anybody else's route. Like there's miles and miles of cliff. Don't be messing with anybody else's work because whoever was there before you put that stuff up there, it took them a lot of work to get that up there. And it's not right for you to go there. And, uh, you know, in any way, shape, or form, change the integrity of their line. And I'd heard that there was problems there with people, like, they'd just wrap in and steal all the hangers yeah, off somebody times. else's route. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. like, what? <laughs> exactly. It's crazy stuff, right? Crazy. That's yeah, Wild like, West you know, shit. Oh, <laughs> uh, just because there's no local climbers there. You know, the local climbers are from Monterey. And they got their head jammed so far up their ass, they don't know what's going on because they're first-generation climbers. And then beyond that, there's really no local contingent to take care of the place. Like, I lived there for years and uh, was down there when I used to work off my laptop when I was in finance. And uh, we used to watch everything. And we used to keep everybody in check because we wouldn't let that stuff go on. But now that all the people that I developed with have all moved on to different areas and moved around and had kids and, you know, you know, one's in Hawaii with his family developing there and another guy's in, you know, uh, just farther south in Mexico. And we've all gone our different directions. Then all of a sudden this younger crew comes in and they have no idea what it took to get that crag the way it is. You know, they have no idea. So that's why that thread got ugly. And oh, man. The foul language that I spewed. I mean, born and raised in New Jersey. Oh, man, they were appalled. They actually took it off to where not everybody could see it because it was just such appalling language. And I said, you know, the one of my main points was, no, everybody should read that. Let them let them pass their judgment on what I said and how I said it. But everybody should read exactly what I wrote because you guys have no right to go and be messing with anybody else's lines, especially with free gear. If you got your hand out like a panhandler and you do a bad job developing, then those people who gave you that money, would they have given you the money knowing the finished product that they were getting? I mean, you've got your hand out, but what routes have you put up? I mean, what have you done? Like, where are your routes that somebody say, oh, yeah, they're great routes? Like, I can tell people, like, Inglorious Bastards and uh, Band of Brothers, two routes that we put up right next door to each other in one crag. They're just like, people just go to those routes because they get stars in the books and everybody knows they're really good and people go and get on them because they're just so enjoyable. So, like, we're not got it. We don't have our hands out. We pay for our own gear because that's why we work for a living. So if you guys are taking free gear from other climbers that are coming there handing you money, then you have a fiduciary responsibility to do a really good job because all of a sudden you're taking money from people. If you're paying for it for yourself and you do a shit job, well, I guess, you know, you're just an asshole. 
But if you're taking money <laughs> from people and you do a shit job, then you're a really big asshole. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> that's it. But they didn't really like my post. You know, they were all getting on me about my language and stuff like that. And, you know, they got to bite my dick about 10, 15 times. <laughs> like, if you don't like it, you know what I mean? If you don't like it, then don't be doing that. You know what I mean? I mean, the bottom yeah. line is, think about this. And the dude who put the route up, what well, was in a, a rappel line for a multi-pitch route that went down a different way. So you went and climbed up one way and rappelled a different way. And, like, the last rappel to get down to the ground, he just went to that anchor and just bolted her out in that wrap. And I'm like, that's just dangerous. Because there's people 700 feet above you coming down. Now, if you're going to put people underneath there on that route and they kick down rocks, if anything comes down, it's going to go right on those people and there's no reason for it. That's yeah. a rappel. You know, that's a multi-pitch rappel. Like, what are you thinking? And that's yeah. what started it all. So, yeah, did I make a lot of enemies? Yeah, but whatever. I don't care, man. Somebody's got to keep those people in check. Like I said, you're not, you know, I'm from New Jersey. You're not going to pull any bullshit without me without hearing about it. You know, that's the beauty of the state that I came in. If, you know, you, you try to pull bullshit, I'm going to see it a mile away, you know? So it's cool. That's yeah. I, I've you made know? some friends at, at Iowa's public crags by <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah. not uh, using the best way to, <laughs> exactly. to, to approach people that are doing stupid shit, but it's like, <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, everybody, you know, like I said, you're doing it for the right reason. You know, you're trying to keep people safe. Yeah. You're trying to make people understand, hey, man, you know, there's consequences. And climbing is an inherently dangerous sport. Yeah. Well, in, in God, I remember the one time, and this one I'm almost embarrassed about. I, I definitely could have handled this one better, but I was walking the trail <laughs> out, and, and I there's this feature in Pictured Rocks called the Comic Gallery, and it's it's actually really pretty the way that all these walls come together and this big hollow in the middle of it. And so these people are hanging out, and they're all climbing these the harder routes up in there. And the warm-up route, I'm like, what is that hanging from the bottom bolt? They had their fucking dog clipped to the bottom bolt. <laughs> and I'm not just looking at this, and I'm like, what in the fuck? And so from the ground, I yell up into the comic guy. I'm like, hey, I hope you brought a bag with you, because I'm sure that dog is shitting all over the base of a popular fucking warm-up. <laughs> totally right. <laughs> and they're yeah. all just like staring at me, and I'm like, "Fucking stupid mother!" And then like I'm yeah. walking out. I'm like, "This is why I don't climb here." Exactly. <laughs> I got I got completely yes. spoiled on being able to go out and climb like basically just on farms, private yeah. property where That's where right. it's it's I don't have to deal with with the shit That's show. You really have hit on something that now has really put us in a position because of Troy that we can't go back. Like, I can't go to the red. I can't go climb in the major crags at the red. I can't go climb where everybody else is climbing because there's too many knuckleheads. Oh, because dude, now that, now that we've Bruce climbed Brothers? Other places, yeah. Yeah. Or well, Mirror Valley. Mirror Valley at all. You can't oh, even yeah. go to Mirror. Yeah. It used to be just the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Then it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Now it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So now it's gotten so busy in there with total knuckleheads that – I can't even go to those places because I'm so spoiled now that I can't even have people around me. Because God forbid somebody lights up a cigarette at the crag 50, 60 yards down the line. I'm like, hey, put that shit out. You know what I mean? Like all yeah. of a sudden now I'm spoiled. So I don't want to. I don't want to hear people yelling. I don't want to hear dogs barking. I don't want to hear kids crying. I don't want to have any of that stuff going on because yes. I want to enjoy the outdoors like when I yeah. got climbing when I was a kid. I mean, you still go to the Delaware Water Gap in between PA and New Jersey. We go climbing there still, and there's nobody around. It's like an alpine experience because there's nobody else there, you know? And it's just really interesting because now where I'm developing here in Holotepec, uh, that, that crag 
get so busy Saturday, Sunday that I can't guide there because it's too, too much of a shit show. So now I'm going around the other side of the mountain and I'm going to put up 10 pitches in a private crag. So if I'm guiding, I can bring the people there and we can have it just to ourselves because if I'm going to teach people, they can't be getting distracted by people doing something yeah. wrong to the right or left of us. So that's it. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Just like Troy said, you know, he said, well, go out there and do it, but don't be telling anybody about it because if you tell one person about it, then you're going to go there the next time and he's going to be there with all his friends. Yeah. And it's kind of sad, but at the same time, I'm trying to run a guide business and I can't be generous all the time because I've, you know, I've put up routes in Bernal. I'm doing all these different routes in different places for everybody to climb. But when it comes down to me keeping people safe, if it has to come to Saturday and Sunday and we're going to be going to that area, I need to take people to a place someplace where they're just, you know, we're going to have the Troy experience, let's say. <laughs> yeah. And, and well, in Iowa too, it's like if, if I went out of my way to go up and knock on a farmer's door and introduce myself out of the blue and then build up a relationship to be able to yeah. have this guy trust me and let me go out and do this, like I can't fuck that over by then spraying about it online and having complete strangers all of a sudden showing up and you know it's it's the average landowner just doesn't want to turn their land into a free-for-all and they might be okay with with somebody that they kind of know and like you know they see a few new faces every once in a while but i mean if you're making it seem like hey i'm coming out here every weekend with different people and i'm turning this into a party place Oh, yeah. You know, you're not going to be welcome for that long. And then all that money and effort you put into developing that crag goes away. And so it it becomes important to, to, I mean, I've had, I've had a lot of people in Iowa's, I shouldn't say a lot, but I've had people in Iowa's climbing community give me shit about the fact that I'm able to go and climb on private property. And it's like, dude, it isn't, it isn't like, yeah, Yeah, it's like you could too. too. It's there. Just go. Build the rapport. Yeah. If you <laughs> yeah, know there's a trip there, go introduce yourself and go do the v- development. Go do all the legwork that we do to get into those places, and then you can tell me about it. But yeah. you're not going to risk that. It's a double-edged sword. As generous as we are going and developing some places, other places we just got to keep off the grid. Because, I mean, like I said, if you keep it below the radar, the place will always be beautiful, and you can go there, and you're going to have their relationship with that farmer. But if somebody, like I said, if somebody – you brought people in there and they bring their friends in there. If somebody gets hurt or something like that, then that's going to ultimately yeah. affect you. That's so the worst private property. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, private property is a very, very interesting thing. Public property is just that as public private property. You got to tread, you got to tread very, very softly when you go through the public private property stuff, because those people are going to, you know, like I said, that's the rapport that you build and they're building a trust with you. They're trusting you that you're going to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. No, I totally understand that completely. I mean, you know, being a guidebook author and having a couple of guidebooks out there and writing another one right now, I understand that the best and worst day for a crag is a guidebook. Yeah. You know, I, I wrote absolutely. one for Pictured Rocks and I got to the point where I started having mixed feelings about it. Yeah. Because I was like, man, I'm like, every picture that I put in here of a climber that looks awesome, that route is a, like, it's going to be polished within a couple of years if it's not mm-hmm. right now. It's so interesting, right? Because that's you why. made it look cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah, my buddy told me not to put stars in the book. He goes, don't be putting stars on things. Because if yeah, you put stars on routes, that. that's going to draw all the people to it. You know, They're like, just make sure everything's safe and just don't put stars on it. 
Exactly. So that's what I did with the, the Peña de Bernal book. I just told people, yeah, this is a really good route and you'll enjoy it because it's just, you know, very nice body movements and stuff like that. But I, you know, write for a specific in there that, you know what, stars, we're going to hold up on stars until we get everybody together and we can all decide on which routes are the best. And that's pretty much just a nice way of saying that it's just not going to happen. You know, yeah. Well, that, and I think that's kind of lazy where people are like, man, I'm coming into this area. I'm only going to be here for a day. I want to get on the best routes. It's like, why don't you just go experience the park? Exactly. And, and if you can't look at from the ground and look at something and think, oh, that might be good. Yeah. Then, then maybe you don't then, want to be on, you know, you shouldn't wh- even be there. Why, why should we give yeah. that to you on a silver platter? Exactly. Yeah, no, that's very true. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy because like the gunks, man, they're just such a whacked out way that they wrote those guidebooks that a lot of the starred climbs may not just because they're so beautiful, might be because they're scary as hell. You know what I mean? Weird way to give something stars. You know, when you get on a route, you're like, oh, my God, that was freaking terrifying. You're like, that was the most terrifying thing I've done in a long time. And then you're like, oh, that's why I got the stars. Because, you you know, that's like should have three pairs of soiled undies, not three stars. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, the Gunks is one of those old places, too, where if you see oh, something yeah. with a plus on it. Oh, yeah, like a 5.9 plus. Oh, yeah, that's the worst. Or 5.10 plus. Yeah, 5.10 plus. You can pretty much assume that you're going to get shut down. They graded this thing so long ago that they assumed that 10 was the top of the grade. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nobody wanted to go to 11. Nobody wanted to give it the 11 because then all those boys would come back and then downgrade that thing and you'd look like a schmuck. Yep, exactly. No, that's exactly <laughs> how it is. Yeah, it's pretty funny, right? It really is interesting because, you know, climbing does have such a rich history, you know, from the gunks, people are like, oh, you're from the gunks, man. That's really hard. I'm like, you ever climbed the New River Gorge? I'm like, that place is really hard. Or Seneca. I'm like, Seneca Rocks is really hard. And they're like, you know, you know, you ever go up to the Adirondacks? I'm like, sometimes you get on a 5'8 there and you swear to God it's a 5'11. You're like, that's the hardest 5'8 <laughs> I've ever done in my life. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I mean, it's just it's all as long as it's safe, it is what it is. You know, I sandbag my routes you know, pretty much all the time climb with Troy. I just figure, Hey man, it's safe. Let somebody else upgrade it, you know, later on, let other people change the grade. <laughs> let's give them an idea what it is. As long as you're not going to get hurt, you know? Yeah. That's the most important part. You know, <clears throat> just make the route safe. If, if you're the one developing it, don't yeah. let your ego get into it. In my mind, if it's a sport route, there's yeah. really no need for runouts in it because yeah, that's, that's why it's like, that's why it's called protection. It's yeah, not protecting well, it's, you. It's, yeah, it, what tells the point? Well, in in for listeners, a runout would be like a really long space in between protection points. So if you were to take a fall on a long runout, you might take what like a 30, 40 foot fall. Oh yeah, yeah. It, and that doesn't fall. need to happen. Yeah. No, no. It's like I said, they call it protection for a reason. And if you're between the first bolt and the second bolt, and you think you're going to fall off and hit the ground. Well, then that first bolt isn't protecting you. Then what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I don't need to be scared. I don't need to think about what my hospital bills are going to be. <laughs> right. you know yeah. I mean? Nobody wants That's that what's changed everything. The nice thing about the gym climbing is that with the gyms becoming so mainstream that with their liability policies, because there's so many people in there, that they're bolting their routes in the gym super close to keep people from pounding the earth, you know, pounding the ground. So mm-hmm. with people getting used to climbing that sort of route – where, where bolts are closer together, it's going to change the way all the developers are in the future because they're going to get used to the idea of the protection being closer than farther. Because, I mean, stuff that was in the Pochero 30 years ago, 25 years ago, those routes, 
the when I go back because the, the the stuff's getting old, especially the crux bolt. I'll go back and I'll email the developer and I'll be like, hey, you know that bolt? Are you going to come down here? Are you going to replace that bolt? Because you know, like, how many people have fallen on that over twenty years? And that really needs to be at least you know pulled out, inspected, and replaced. And then they're like, yeah, yeah, that'd be great if you do that. I'm like, well, if I'm going to do that, I'm adding another bolt to the route too. You know, I'm yeah. like, the runouts are just ridiculous. Like fear of flying where you have the mandatory 40 footer. Like we're like, no way we're changing that. If I got to change the crux bolt, I'm going to make sure that that mandatory 40 footer is now cut down to a mandatory like 20 footer, which yeah. is still pretty far. You know, yeah, it's that's more still, than I want to do. Yeah. No shit, man. I've never <laughs> exactly. done a run out that big. That would scare the fuck out of me. Oh, but like hey, maybe I'm a pussy sport climber. Yeah, well, and it was a and it was a five twelve, you know, which is a very hard climb, you know, for for the listeners. Five twelve is, you know, that's no entry level climb. So fear of flying was put up by Brian McRae, which is flying Brian McRae, who's now passed away. But fear of flying, like the reason he called it that is because you pulled a twelve move, you'd stand up, your the bolt would be like seven feet below you, so there's no protection for seven feet. Then you had to pull another twelve move, and you were Jesus. way high up there. Yeah, you're like yeah. twenty five meters out there. So you're going like, you know, just with the length of the rope stretch and everything like that, you were doing like 30 feet just from the, all the stretch and everything like that. I mean, it was just like, it was crazy. Yeah. And that's why I said, when I got all of them, I'm like, Brian, I'll replace that bolt, but I'm adding another bolt to that route. I said, no way. I said, that's just not right. And he was fine with it. You know, he said, he's, you know, he said, you know, he understood. He and said, when he put that route up there, he's a lot younger. And now yeah. looking back on it, it really doesn't need that big run out. Now it's a much more popular route. It really is because now people, you know, can get on it and they know they're not going to, you know, when your feet are 12 feet above that bolt and you got to pull that second 12 move, like you're seriously considering the whole like idea on like what, what life is all about. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You you are stepping very carefully indeed. (laughs) Yep, exactly. You're like contemplating the whole grand scheme of things when you're like, why would somebody do this to somebody else? You know, because once you take that fall once, you're like, lower me. I'm not taking that fall again. Man, yeah. there was a dude in probably the early 2000s that was bolting some routes in Iowa that man, he just made some really poor choices. And I had the misfortune of getting on one of his routes out at Indian Bluffs where the line went up and then he drug you clear the fuck over to the left to make you climb up this one short little steep section. And then once you pulled that steep section, he drug you clear back over to the right. Yeah. And then the line more or less wandered up going over all these ledges and shit. And yeah. so it's like almost every single bolt in this route was in the wrong spot. Exactly. And, and yeah. dude, what I fucking, I spent like 45 minutes on this thing just shitting bricks because I knew that if I fell when that route was juking back over that I was going to take a giant pendulum into like this yeah. big obtrusion sticking out of the, the another wall <laughs> yeah. right next to it. Exactly. And the whole time I'm like, why did this stupid motherfucker do this just to go over That's this right. one short little steep? And it's like, so, I mean, some developers yep. just don't, don't get it. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, in right. my mind, if, if, if you're that fucking stupid and you put up yep. something that's that bad, I'm not going to call you before I fix your route. I'm just going to fucking fix exactly. it. And if you don't like it's it, like, you can yeah. talk to me about it out in the woods. Exactly. And we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Eric Horst in the new. Yeah. Eric Horst in the new. <laughs> Did a terrible job, man. Terrible job developing. Everybody knows this stuff is terrible. He never evolved. It's like he didn't give a crap or something. I have no idea. Like, I just don't even climb his routes. And that's the sad thing is if you take a piece of rock that's, you know, on the cliff and you do a really bad route, then what you're doing is you're actually taking away from the whole cliff. Yep. You're taking away. 
you're taking that section of rock that might have been really good, and now all of a sudden it's nothing because nobody's going to go up there. So that's actually selfish. And somebody could draw the line in the sand and be like, oh, well, maybe you're just not strong enough to pull it. No, no, no. When you have 99% of people being like, why is that done that way? Yes. Yeah. Obviously, there's something, there's something wrong. Yeah. You know? If yeah. this route was put in on rappel, there's no reason for the bolts to not be in the right spots. That's right. That's right. There, there's about no reason too. to put a bolt yeah. up where if you fall, you're going to break your leg on a fucking ledge. Exactly. Where if, that's where if the West idiot Virginia. would have put some thought into it, moved the bolt 18 inches over yep. to the right, you're going to miss yep. that ledge. That's right. And that's so, the New River Gorge, man. Exactly. No, that's really? Like, you're wrapping in, oh, yeah, all the sport climbing. Of the older sport climbing and the new is just horrendous. It's just the whole place is horrendous. They ruined so many good routes by just doing a bad job. And now there's guys going back there and fixing that stuff. But there's no glory in going back and fixing somebody else's route. Yeah. You know, and, so it's a slow it, process. And at worst, you're going to get shit from some idiot in the climbing community that's like, yeah. did you get permission from the first Ascentious before you yeah. moved that oh, fucking man. bolt? And it's like, yeah. dude. If it's blatantly freaking bad news, no way in hell I'm doing it. Yep, I'm just going to go <laughs> fix it. Yep, there's yeah. routes that I've done over the years that are different areas <laughs> that I just went back and fixed. And people don't even notice. You know, like people aren't climbing it because it's so bad. And then all of a sudden they realize there's chalk on it. And then they go back and they're like, wow. And they're like. I wonder who fixed that. Man, that's so much nicer now. You know, right. it's so much, that's so much safer. Like, holy crap. Like, yeah, it only sat like that for 20 years. You know, it's like, holy crows, man. Think about this, guys. This is, this should be fun for everybody, not just for somebody that has no real idea of what could possibly happen if things go wrong. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's what keeps people alive. When you walk to the edge of a cliff, why don't you just walk right off like the dodo bird? That's because we have this thing in the back of our head that says, you know, self-preservation. Some people still don't have that. And if they're going to go up those routes, you know, I mean, let's kind of put that in with self with uh, self-preservation with free soloing, you know, like Alex Honnold. Real nice guy. Met Alex a number of times. Super pleasant. Oh, no dude. shit. I just yeah. put a video up of um, him doing that. Uh, yeah, that free solo that he did down in El Portrero. I just put that up on the sure. Startcast page because yep. I was talking Elsa about Dara it uh, a couple episodes ago. Yeah, amazing. Elsendera Luminoso, man. Amazing when he did that. It looked terrifying. He, I can't uh, believe he free soloed yeah. fucking limestone. Jesus. I mean, it's just crazy that that 512 slab is so intricate and there's so many moves and there's so much stuff that he could never possibly, even though he did it a bunch of times before he free soloed it, you couldn't memorize it. It's too much to memorize. Yeah, that's really interesting. And what's re you know what's really interesting that people don't realize is that uh, that was on the front side, and on the back side, Kurt Smith had put up a uh, route before he had left town there when he had a falling out with one of the landowners, and he called that uh, me me uh, me uh, me regalo favorito, uh, my favorite gift because he he bolted this huge twenty six pitch route, and that's what he liked to do. He liked to develop Kurt, you know, out of the New River Gorge, and it sat for 13, 14, 15 years with a fixed rope on it. So he had 26 pitches of, of climbing, all fixed. And Alex came in with another dude, <clears throat> and they went up the route, cleaned it, cleaned off 26 pitches of, uh, so you figure, you know, 1,300 feet, 2,600 feet of fixed line <laughs> and brought it all down. Yeah, it was like enough to fill the 40-yard dumpster. They had cut all the rope up, and they carried it all out. So not only did they go up the route, clean the route, take all that fixed line down, then they cleaned up all the fixed line, huffed it out of there, and threw it away. And then they went and freed it at like 13C. Damn. Yeah, like that's, <laughs> that's really nice crazy. 
yeah, and it's also it really nice is. to see pros giving back like that. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He could have. He, he didn't have to do all that. Nope. You know, my buddy told me it took him three days to pack all that stuff out of there with multiple trips. You know, to get all that because all that static rope was like it was like a cable. So they cut it like six foot sections and then mm. just piled it all up and then just took it out slowly but surely. Crazy. <laughs> yep. God yeah. Something people know. Yeah. Some people know about those era Alessandro Luminoso, but they have no idea that he did uh, me, me, me Vergalo Favrito on the backside. And what a nice, you know, what a nice gesture it was. Not that anybody's done it since because not too many hard climbers go through the Butcher Pro anymore. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. 13C. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now it's just a bunch of knuckleheads that go in there for the long, moderate multi pitch, which is quite cool enough and all. Like, let them go have at it. But uh, the place was really built on single-pitch hard climbing. I mean, Kurt <laughs> was the first one who came in and started stacking 13s on top of each other. You know, he was the one who started, you know, thinking thinking big. But, yeah, so it's, it's cool. Like I said, as a developer, you do. You have a responsibility that uh, you're going to be taking something that's a totally blank canvas and doing a, putting a route up, which is going to forever change that section of cliff. And if you're going to take all that time and spend that money, you better do a good job because if you do a half-assed job, then what's it worth? Like anything else, like your, your, your family tells you when you're growing up, if you're going to do something, you better do it right the first time. Yeah, <laughs> I totally agree, man. Especially <laughs> yeah. if you're putting it in a friggin' public place like that where it's exactly. like a tourism center. Uh-huh. Like, uh, you exactly. really are doing a disservice to do shitty work there. Oh, yeah, man. I got a guidebook there and it calls out every crappy job. Yep, calls them right out. <laughs> yep, I call the people right out on it because they know they did a crappy job when they put it together, and they just left it that way, which is really appalling. You know, it's not bad enough you did a crappy job, but then you just left it. Yep, <clears throat> yeah. So no, like I said, it is what it is. But you know, but what I'll do is this: listen, let me run only because I got to get up tomorrow early. So let <laughs> yeah. me run. I hate to cut you. I hate <laughs> no, to cut you short. I was just going to wrap it up, man. So this totally works out. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, Thank you so today, much, dude. I'm kind of beating, man. I'm kind of hurting, <laughs> man. I'm feeling my age. We climbed today, and I know the dude who's inside the house right now. I'm in my van, actually. So I got a house down here with five, four-bedroom house, two-bathroom, four-bedroom, two-bath, and a big house. And I'm still out here in the driveway sleeping in the van. That's kind of <laughs> crazy, right? <laughs> That's funny. Well, dude, yeah. thank you so much for talking with me. This was fun. And, no problem um, at all. Yeah, like I said, if anybody out there listening, you know, it's uh, www.southernxposure, so southernexposure.com.mx. And like I said, you can look me up on Facebook as well. You'll see exactly what I look like and see what we're doing down here. And, you know, if anybody ever gets an inkling, just drop me an email. Come on down. Like I said, if you're ever interested in the climbing, man, we, we, you know, we'll put, we'll roll out the rug for you and keep everything going. Awesome, man. Yeah. And send me that link and I will put it up on the Facebook page. So I will. And you know, it's just really, it's a a pleasure talking to you again. And, uh, you know, I hope to hang with you and the family. Like I said, I'd love to see you guys in Kentucky. If I come through Iowa, you know, you know, I'll be stopping in. Awesome. (laughs) Amen. You take care of yourself. And uh, like I said, what I'll do is I'll get you the information and, uh, you know, just, you know, enjoy every day for what it is, you know, enjoy every day because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Right. Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, everybody, thank you very much for listening. Until next time, this has been StartCast. If you have any questions or comments on what you just heard, you can email me at startcastpod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at the tubby ninja. 
Or you can check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash starkcastpod. Thank you very much for listening. Hey, I'd like to take a moment to ask you all a big favor. If you enjoy listening to StarkCast, please log on to iTunes and leave me a review. It uh, really helps with visibility for the show, and um, I would super appreciate it. If you're not a fan and you want to be honest and tell me how much my show sucks, go ahead and leave me a run of those too.